Welcome back to Little Band Radio. Talk from the left, that's right, with a special Friday night version of the podcast. We are doing a live stream discussing uh, the Supreme Court rulings on student loans. We are also going to be talking about the ruling, if we have time, to talk about the uh, rulings that affirms the ability of a business to discriminate against uh, gay people. Uh, some people are ruling it as a free speech issue, and we will delve into that if we have time again. If not, we will delve into that on Wednesday um, as well, because um, as some some believe that it is just simply a free speech issue and that it does not allow discrimination, but uh, I can't see how the ruling allows for, uh, is simply allows for free speech. It is more than just that, in my opinion. Um, but I have been talking about this for a while. Uh, I have been talking about this student loan thing forever, and I've been waiting for this to happen. And I've, I've been telling my listeners that I will be talking about this ruling as soon as it drops, the day that it drops, and I will go live when it drops. And if I make a promise, I keep a promise. So this is the promise to you. I, I promise to go ahead and discuss uh, this uh, issue and uh, I am discussing this issue uh, and uh, there were actually two rulings on the student loan issue and I, I feel that uh, they are somewhat contradictory the Supreme Court contradicted itself so let's go with the easy one first uh, the easy the one that they got right uh, the Supreme Court did get one right today uh, and, and, of course, nobody is really talking about that one too much because they got it right. Uh, um, but we may, uh, we may talk about this, but we're going to start talking about it in a little bit. Let's give uh, people a little bit longer uh, to, to, to just kind of shuffle into the room, uh, shuffle into the chat to, to listen uh, uh, to, to listen uh, to the podcast, to let them get in. We'll get to do some housekeeping first. If you do want to support the show, the best thing you could do if you're not subscribing already uh, is to subscribe to the channel. I am trying to reach 1,000 so I can be monetized here on YouTube. Uh, I am Liberal Dan Radio on YouTube. I'm Liberal Dan Radio on Facebook, Twitter, uh, Twitch, uh, TikTok, uh, LiberalDan.com as well. Uh, so subscribe to all those places as well. It's free to do. Uh, follow, I guess, is the right term on some of those places, but you know what to do. Um, you already know what it is. You already do what it do, as uh, the host of the most Nimbus Yosh would say, one of the friends of uh, Liberal Dan Radio. There is also uh, ways to support the show. Otherwise, you could uh, become a Liberal Dan Radio patron, patreon.com slash Liberal Dan. Uh, go patreon.liberaldan.com as well to get there. Uh, you can support the show one-time basis by buying me a cider, uh, buy me a Click the Buy Me a Cider button on LiberalDan.com, or you can go to BuyMeACoffee.com slash LiberalDanRadio. The reason I call it Buy Me a Cider is I don't like coffee. I've tried all sorts of versions of it, and I just don't seem to like it. I can never find a way to do it. I'll drink Kahlua, but I don't like coffee. Or you can just Venmo at LiberalDan as well. And those are the ways to support the show. Um, I'm also NerdyDan.com, at NerdyDan, D-O-T-C-O-M. Um, or you can go to nerdydan.com and find all the places for me there. I do live streaming on Tuesdays and Thursdays on Twitch and some random days as well. Uh, I have some videos on nerdydan.com, on YouTube. I also live, I'm on Twitch, uh, TikTok, uh, Facebook, and Twitter as well there. 
Um, I am monetized on TikTok. I did manage to pull that one off, but I'm looking at doing other things as well, but one step at a time. Uh, so uh, we are going to, uh, let's see, let's, let's tweet this one out as well. Let's, let's, let's share this. Um, let's see, if you want to cancel student debt and you disagree, Hey, Jeff Curry, what's going on with, and if, if you're listening right now and you want to get more people into the chat room, just share the live stream. Go ahead and share the live stream on your social media streams, get more people into the stream because we definitely want more people talking about this subject. I definitely want more people in the chat. I know it's a Friday night. There are probably a lot of people who are going out and having fun, but this is a serious subject. The Supreme Court got this one super wrong, and they got this super wrong on a procedural basis, let alone on a, on a factual basis, they got this wrong on a procedural basis. Um, anyway, so if you want to get to cancel student debt and you disagree with the uh, Supreme Court ruling on student debt forgiveness, tune in right now to my live stream on YouTube. Boom, there you go. You can also share that to Facebook as well. And if you have Twitter, I just tweeted that, that tweet out on Twitter. And let's go ahead and tweet that out on the Facebook as well. Um, and also, if we have five concurrent viewers, only two likes. If you are viewing, if you're viewing it and you haven't liked it yet, help the algorithms out. And go ahead and like the video as well. That always helps the algorithms, or as sometimes we say, the Al Gore rhythms, uh, because uh, if Al Gore created the internet, then everything is based on the internet is based on an algorithm, right? Yes. So, haha, dad jokes are rad jokes. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Tip your waitresses. <laughs> so, um, and again, we're just kind of talking little little stuff right now. We're just just, just doing a little chit chat, waiting for. Um, oh wait, I need to do this as. Oh, I don't want to do it as that. Hey, Silly Wonka, what's going on? Good to see you. Uh, we're just we're just giving a couple more people to trickle in allowing people to uh, get in and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to have to repeat myself. I don't want to have to, um, I want to be able to just, you know, let, let more people come in and let more people, uh, you know, see it and everything. And don't want to let, don't want people to miss stuff. So let's just, just giving some more people some time to trickle in here before we start the meat of the program, so to speak. So let's just give everybody the uh, opportunity to, uh, uh, Let's see, switch, try to do that. There we go, now it's gonna work right, hopefully. The whole Facebook thing, there we go. I got, I got, now I finally got what I wanted to do on the, it's a lot more um, intuitive to do this on the phone, but I, I currently have the phone streaming this stuff. I need a yogurt cup for pretzel beer back. Hey, bring me one too, that would be awesome. Actually, I'm kind of full right now, so I don't need it at the moment. Um, <laughs> Anywho, so, yeah, so we got all that going on right now. We got 
I'm not, I, I, I mean, I'm, I am currently live on Blog Talk Radio as well. If you're listening on Blog Talk Radio, I do request that you come on over uh, to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash liberaldanradio. It's just easier to do it in one chat room. It's easier to, uh, it's easier to make to, uh, it's easier to uh, have everybody in one chat room instead of having everybody in both. It's easier to monitor one chat, and that way I can uh, kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. I usually just use the Blog Talk Radio chat just to have a soundboard, um, although I have another soundboard on my desktop now anyway with my favorite one. I've heard of a yogurt covered pretzel before. It's they're pretty good. Um, I've had them before. So let's 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 handle. We'll handle the, while we're waiting for other people to come. And I know Erin's not going to be in tonight. She's busy. She's got other plans, which is fine. You know, my unpaid mods can have breaks as much as they want, and you know, I won't even give an Aaron air horn for right now. But let's go ahead and switch to the alternate. Let's move. Let's move the buy me a coffee over a little bit so it's not covering up the text. There we go. Um, much better. So Department of Education at Al versus Brown at all. Um, this is the case that was brought by uh, several students um, to alleviate hardship is expected to be caused by the impending resumption of federal student loan repayments. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona announced a substantial student loan debt forgiveness plan, yada, yada, yada. We all know that ten dollars to $20,000, $10,000 based on, you know, if you didn't get a Pell Grant, $20,000 if you did get a Pell Grant. And um, before the plan took effect, various plaintiffs, including respondents here, sued to enjoin it. Respondents Myra Brown and Alexander Taylor are two borrowers who do not qualify for the maximum relief available under the plan. Their one-count complaint alleges that the secretary was required to follow notice and comment and negotiated rulemaking procedures in promulgating the plan, which all agree uh, he did not do. They argued that the HEROES Act procedural exemptions apply only when the rule promulgated is substantially authorized by the act. And because the HEROES Act does not authorize the plan, uh, the secretary was required to follow negotiated rulemaking, notice, and comment. Um, uh, let's see. The district court rejected their argument uh, regarding the scope of the HEROES Act procedural exemptions, but nonetheless vacated the plan as substantially unauthorized. This court granted uh, before judgment, considered the case along with Biden and Nebraska, which presents a similar challenge to the plan held because the respondents failed to establish that any injury they suffer from not having their loans forgiven is fairly traceable to the plan. They lack Article Three standing, so the court has no jurisdiction to address their procedural claim. Okay. Hey, Jolie, what's going on? Thank you for joining us. Um, so we're not... Let's see. Alito delivered the opinion of the unanimous court. So the court unanimously agreed that they did not have standing to bring this case because they did not suffer harm. They could not prove harm under Article 3. Now, let's talk about standing for a second, because I've long been of the opinion that I disagree a lot of the times with the idea of, of standing when it comes to federal cases. I believe that people should be able to challenge the federal government when the federal government acts, if they believe that the federal government is acting improperly because if the federal government is doing something that it shouldn't be doing 
but nobody can do let's say nobody let's say no it's let's say the federal government is doing something it lacks the authority to do but it harms nobody i don't know what that situation might be but let's say it doesn't harm anybody let's say nobody can prove harm but yet it still doesn't have the authority to do it then who would who would stop them who would prevent them from doing this right nobody could so then how would anybody stop the federal government from doing what they were supposed to do, from doing what they weren't supposed to be doing in the first place? So in my opinion, anybody who is a citizen of the United States should be able to sue the federal government and stop them from being able to do an act that they feel is unconstitutional. Now, that's not how it works. So therefore, my opinion is null and void. That's, but that's not so. That's not how it works. But in my opinion, I believe that too often people are are thrown out because they don't of court because they lack standing when they should have standing. Okay. So now Alito gives the opinion of the court, and everybody agrees with Alito. Shockingly enough, because Alito writes terrible rulings, but. Since everybody agrees with Alito and there's no, there's no argument here that everybody agrees with. Well, maybe we should read this a little bit. Maybe we should read this because maybe we should look into what Alito says and see what he says here and compare it to the other ruling. Okay. Um, for the plan took effect, various plaintiffs, including the respondents here, sued to enjoin it. Respondents to individuals for various reasons do not qualify for maximum relief under the plan argued the Department of Education promulgated the plan, blah, blah, blah. The court's opinion in Biden versus Nebraska recounts the relevant background of the HEROES Act, so only a brief summary is provided here. Um, in addition to the substantive grant of authority, the HEROES Act dispenses with certain procedural rules for actions taken pursuant to it. First, HEROES Act permits the Secretary to implement any waivers and modifications authorized without engaging in negotiated rulemakers. Uh, The negotiated rulemaking is a lengthy deliberation process involving many stakeholders. Pursuant to this process, the secretary must first obtain advice and recommendations from a long list of sources, including individuals and representatives of groups such as students, legal assistance organizations that represent students, institutions of higher education, state student grant agencies, guarantee agencies, lenders, secondary markets, loan services, guarantee agency servicers, and collection agencies. Then, informed by this consultation, the secretary must submit draft regulations for consideration and negotiation process involving participants who are chosen by the secretary from individuals nominated by such groups. Only after taking these steps, may the secretary publish proposed regulations in the Federal Register, accompanied by a summary of information, blah, blah, blah. The HEROES Act, however, permits the secretary to bypass this onerous process. The HEROES Act also authorizes the secretary to bypass notice and comment procedures uh, that the Administrative Procedure Act would otherwise demand. Um, on September 27th, 2022, Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona, invoking authority under HEROES, directed the issuance of waivers and modifications that would bring about the forgiveness of a substantial amount of student loan debt, uh, 10000 for people who have debt uh, under 125000 or household under 250000 an additional 10000 for people if you've received Pell Grants, and he describes what Pell Grants are. Notwithstanding the plan's scope and expense, not all student loan borrowers were pleased with it. Meyer Brown and Alexander Taylor Plaintiffs in this case are two such dissatisfied borrowers. Uh, Brown's loans are commercially held, i.e. they're not federally held, meaning her creditor is an entity other than the federal government. And that's an important thing to remember. They're not federally held, 
And that's a very important thing to remember, not federally held. We'll talk about that later. Um, the Electoral College ruined the Supreme Court. GOP ruined the Electoral College. Yes, that is true. Um, the plan, however, only applies to borrowers who loans fall under one or more categories of loans held by the department. Consequently, Brown is not entitled to any loan forgiveness under the plan. Uh, Taylor, on the other hand, is eligible for loan forgiveness, but only 10000 rather than 20000 because despite now having an annual income of less than 25000 he never received a Pell Grant. Uh, thus, individuals with an annual income up to five times greater than his, than his are eligible for twice as much uh, loan forgiveness if he received the Pell Grant. Accordingly, both Brown and Taylor object to certain elements of the plan. Brown to its limitation to federally, loaned loan, federally held loans, Taylor, because he doesn't get, because people with more money get more relief because he never got a Pell Grant. Um, okay, I mean, I could, I could see why Taylor might be a little annoyed. Okay, I could see why Taylor might be annoyed, but what harm, there's not, how are you harmed if you're getting, if you're getting, to, you have loans. They're reducing your loans by $10,000. How are you being harmed? There's no harm there. Stop being a whiny little pain in the ass. Like, seriously. Alleging that the law entitles them to such an opportunity, Brown and Taylor brought the action to district court. Their one count complaints claims the plan is unlawful because the department promulgated it without observing the requirements, blah, blah, blah. Um, under the Fifth Circuit, they denied the motion for a stay pending appeal. The department applied for the court stay. The department advised that alternative we could treat the application as a petition for seniority before judgment. We did just that, granting the department's petition for seniority before the judgment and deferring consideration to the state. We will now review the judgment. We ultimately do not address Brown and Taylor's argument that the department failed to observe proper uh, processes during pro for promulgating the plan. We have an obligation to assure ourselves of litigants standing before proceeding to the merits of the case. So you have to determine standing before determining the merits of the case. A Daimler Chrysler Court versus Kuno, and because we conclude that Brown and Taylor lack standing, uh, we, we can't deal with the merits. In particular, we hold that Brown and Taylor failed to establish any injury they suffered from not having their loans forgiven. It's fairly, fairly traceable to the plan. Uh, our, our authority under Constitution is limited to resolving cases and controversies. Article 3. The doctrine of standing, among other words, implements this, limits our authority. Uh, Carney, 592 U.S., at our jurisprudence has established that the irre irreducible constitutional minimum of standing contains three elements. A plaintiff must plead and ultimately prove. First, the plaintiff must have to suffered an injury in fact that is both concrete and particularized and actual or imminent, not conjectural or hypothetical. And that's important in the other case, too. That's important in the case about the, the two, three, whatever the number case about the website one was i don't know how she made it past standing either but we'll get to that a little later um can qb these two people are going to have their loans paid by right wing groups that haven't paid down already i'm sure they will um second the plaintiff's injuries must be fairly traceable to the challenged action of the defendant there must be a causal connection third it must be likely as opposed to merely speculative that the injury will be redressed by a favorable decision we have found, however, that when a statute affords a litigant a procedural right to protect his concrete interest, the litigant may establish Article III jurisdiction without meeting the usual standards for redressability and immediacy. For example, we hypothesized a person living adjacent to the site for proposed construction of a federally licensed dam 
and explained that this person has standing to challenge the licensing agency's failure to prepare, even though he cannot establish with any certainty that the statement will cause the license to be withheld or altered, blah, blah, blah. Regardless, the redressability showing we have tolerated in the procedural rights contest, we have never held a litigant who asserts such a right is excused from demonstrating that it has a concrete interest, concrete interest. Um, for applying this framework, we pause to explain the respondent's theory of standing and the substance of their claim. Uh, respondent's merits theory appears to be tensioned with the possibility the department could redress their injury, blah, blah, blah. Having recounted this history, we now understand the respondent's claim that his theory is follows. First, because HEROES Act does not substantially authorize the plan, the department is obligated to follow the typical negotiated rulemaking, notice and comment requirements. Second, the department has observed those procedures. The Describing respondents' claim illustrates how unusual it is. They claim they are injured because the government has not adopted a lawful benefits program under which they would qualify for assistance, but the same could be said of anyone who might benefit from a benefits program that government has not chosen to adopt. It is difficult to see how an injury could be, part could be particular or concrete. Right, as I said, basically in plain English, they didn't get the benefit, so they're claiming harm because they didn't get the benefit. Nah. Um, put differently, the department's decision to give other people relief under a different statutory scheme did not cause respondents to not obtain the benefits they want. The cause of their supposed injury is far more pedestrian than that. The department has simply chosen to not give them the relief they want. Ordinarily, a party's recourse to induce an agency to take a desired action is to file not a lawsuit, but a petition for the issuance, amendment, or repeal of a rule. The denial of such a petition must be justified by a statement of reasons which in turn can be appealed to the courts if the litigant has standing to maintain such a suit. Contesting a separate benefits program based on a theory that it crowds out the desired one, however, is an approach for which we have been unable to find any precedent. Uh, it is true that procedural standing cases, we tolerate uncertainty over whether observing certain procedures would have led to a different outcome. Blah, 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 blah. blah. Skip over that. Brown and Taylor need not allege that observing negotiated rulemaking and comment would force the department to reach substantive results more favorable to them. Uh, but they still must show, pursuant to customary traceability standards, that the planned substance causes their injury by impairing loan relief under HEA. Um, Brown and Taylor cannot meet this standard. It is purely speculative, speculative whether the denial of an HEA loan relief, uh, their injury, fairly can be traced to the department's decision. But I'm going to make this statement right now, before we read the other ruling, that despite the fact that they don't have standing, they are more harmed than the states that brought the other case. They have more of an argument to prove to state to, to establish harm because they can at least say these other people are getting help and we're not. We're being left out of the of the help. They're they're saying that these other people are getting either help, like one of them is saying, I'm not getting help when they are, and the other person is saying, I'm getting some help, but they're getting more help. And they're getting disproportionate help based on their bigger income, and I have less income, and I'm getting less help because previously they had more loans, they got more grants. So these people can actually say, "Hey, this is why we're in the position that we are." The states in the other ruling can't prove anything; they can't prove any standing whatsoever. Yet we're allowed to bring forth the case. What's up, Seha? How's it going? Hey, Wes, what's going on? So let's just establish that as well. 
Uh, finally, Brown and Taylor argued that they have demonstrated causation because the secretary's failure to observe the requisite procedural rules cost them a chance to obtain debt forgiveness. Briefer responded, but preferring. See, that's the thing. Here, here's the problem with their argument, with the argument of the, of the plaintiffs, is that by they're basically saying that they could have gotten relief had they followed the petition thing. And that's not necessarily the case. They could have, in, in the, if they would have followed the rules that they're now going to follow, because if you follow the news, because now they're doing it under the other way, they're going to they're going to they're going to try and do a rule change and they're going to they're going to go through the procedural rules process which is going to take a longer time right so now they're going to do that and at the end of the day they still might not get the same they still might they still might reach the same conclusions they still might at the end of this procedural process say okay we're going to forgive $10,000 for people who didn't get Pell Grants and $20,000 for people who did get Pell Grants for people who make individually $125,000 per year or $250,000 a year for people who make for people in family, right? So, so they still might get the same result. It's just this was quicker and through a different law. So, so there's no, there's no guarantee that they would have gotten the same, that they would have gotten any, any different of a result. But they might get a worse result. You never know. So, so for, as, as Alito says, for these reasons, respondents lack standing. We therefore vacate the judgment of the district court and remand the case with instruction to dismiss by vacating the district court's judgment. We obviate the need to grant the interim relief. The de- department requests in its application, blah, blah, blah. We therefore deny the application is moot. It is so ordered. So say we all. It is. Wait, wait. Oh, I wait. Thank you, Donald. Anyway, so that's ruling number one. The court, as I said before, I typically disagree with the idea that people shouldn't be able to bring that people should have to prove harm to stop the government to doing from doing things that they feel are unconstitutional. Like if, if those people felt that that government shouldn't be able to do this thing, they should be able to come forward and, and say, look, government government is doing something that, that is wrong and I should be able to stop it. I should be able to try and stop it with, with a court case, with a case. And I should be able to try and prove why I believe this is unconstitutional. And in reality, government should have the onus and the responsibility to prove why their actions are constitutional. The responsibility should be on government to prove why their, their, their actions and their laws are constitutional. That being said, that's not the rules of the game as we currently play them. Like, so I can state my opinion of how I think things should be, but we play the game as if they are. Like I could say, I don't think three-pointers are fair, right? I could say, I don't think three-pointers in basketball are fair, and I don't think we should use them. But currently, there are three-pointers. So I'm going to take a shot from three if I'm open, and I can, take it, man, and I can make a three-point shot. And I did that in high school. One of my first times on the gym as a freshman in high school. I, uh, it was great. I'm this little five nine, white scrawny white kid, and I like clap for the ball. And the guy passed me the ball, and he looked at me, and he was like, "Who the hell is this kid?" And I caught the ball and shot the ball, and I made it. It was swish. And the guy looked at me like, "All right." And I took one step around the one around the arc. They passed it to me, and a swish. 
and he looked, and his jaw dropped a little bit, and I stepped a little more around the arc, and I took another shot, and swish, and I took another shot and stepped around the arc, and his jaw dropped a little more, and I swish, and he was like, who the hell is this kid, and where did he come from? And I was like, I came from a little Jewish day school that nobody ever heard of, because I was two of two people in my graduating eighth grade class. No one knew who I was. Problem was, I was too small and too slow uh, for to make it onto the basketball team. Um, so I didn't make it on the basketball team for, for my high school. But anyway, point is, is that you play the game by the rules as they are. You don't, you don't play the game by the rules that they wish they are. And I could make other arguments like in elections, but I don't want to piss anybody off right now. So, um, and I, but I've made those arguments before in the podcast as well. Um, so the rules as they are is that you have to have standing to bring a case. So these two could not prove that they have standing to bring the case. So therefore, they were not allowed to bring their case. Enter Biden, President of the United States at all versus Nebraska at all. Westweb, you can't go to work for free when you owe a fortune student loans. I was starving teacher. I thought I might go to work for Radio Shack. We're beginning wages twice that where I was making. I'm missing some of the things in the, in the chat. Anywho, um, I don't know what I just hit and what I met my, maybe my mouse, I hit my mouse too much. I made a noise. Title four of the Higher Education Act, 1965, governs federal financial aid mechanisms. The act authorizes the Secretary of Education to cancel or reduce loans in certain limited circumstances. The Secretary may cancel a set of amount of loans held by some public servants. He may also forgive the loans of borrowers who have died, become permanently or totally disabled. Borrowers who are bankrupt. That's not true. Uh, the ability to get your loans discharged in bankruptcy is uh, no. That's the, that doesn't happen. Or that happens very, very rarely at least because no, they don't get discharged in bankruptcy. Um or borrowers whose schools falsely certify them, close down, or fail to pay lenders. Well, that's true. Those are true. Uh, the issue presented in this case is where the Secretary has authority under the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Act, or the HEROES Act, apart from the existing provisions. Under HEROES Act, the Secretary may waive or modify any statutory regulatory provisions applicable to the Student Finances Assistance Programs under Title IV of the Higher Education Act, as the Secretary deems necessary in connection with a war, other military a- a- operation, or national emergency as relevant here the secretary may issue such waivers and modification only as may be necessary to assure that recipients of student and financial assistance under title four are not placed in a worse position financially in relation to that financial assistance because of the national emergency in 2022 as the covid pandemic came to the end the secretary invoked the heroes act to issue waivers and modifications reducing or eliminating the federal student debt of both federal most borrowers um Borrowers eligible federal student loans who had an income below 125000 either in either 2020 or 2021 qualified for loan balance discharge of up to $10,000 or if they received a Pell Grant, a specific type of federal student loan. Uh, Pell Grant is a specific type of federal grant, not a loan. A Pell Grant is not a loan. It's a grant. Um, hello. I guess you never had a grant in your life there, Roberts. Uh, qualifies for discharge up to 20 discharge sounds gross uh, six states challenge the plan is exceeding the secretary's statutory authority 
The Eighth Circuit issued a nationwide preliminary injunction, and this court granted seniority before judgment. Held. At least Missouri has standing to challenge the secretary's program. Why? Why does Missouri have standing? There is no reason. What harm does Missouri have to bring? How does Missouri at all claim to have standing in this whatsoever? Let's go. Start recording this. Held. At least Missouri has standing to challenge the secretary's program. Why? Why does Missouri have standing to bring us? What possible harm can Missouri claim here to have standing? There is in order to have standing, you have to have you have to be able to claim some sort of injury. There is no possible injury that the state of Missouri or Missouri as some people might say from the state of Missouri, how can they claim at all that there is any sort of harm to the state of Missouri here? There's none. There's absolutely none. Now, Mohella, who happens to be my student loan servicer, even though I live in Louisiana, my, it got transferred to Mohella. Mohella is my student loan servicer. They weren't even part of the suit. They're based in Missouri, but they're not part of the suit. But the state of Missouri, is some re- for some reason, is part of the suit, and they sued. But what's their injury? There is none. So there's no reason for them to be a part of the suit. It's ridiculous. Let's see. And let's continue. So Article 3 requires a plaintiff to have suffered an injury, in fact, a concrete or imminent harm to a legally protected interest, like property or money that is fairly traceable to the challenged conduct and likely to be redressed in the lawsuit. Here, as the government concedes, the Secretary's plan would cost Mohella a nonprofit government corporation created by Missouri to participate in the student loan market, an estimate $44 million a year in fees. Mohella is, by law and function, an instrumentally, instrumentality of Missouri. Labeled an instrumentality by the state, it was created by the state, is supervised by the state, and serves a public function. The harm to Mohella in the performance of its public function is necessarily a direct injury to Missouri itself. The court reached a similar conclusion 70 years ago in Arkansas v. Texas. So they're trying to claim that because it can't get fees from loans, that somehow it's, it's because it's going to lose income from fees, that somehow that's injury? No, that's stupid. That is absolutely stupid because it's, it's going to, you're still going to get fees. You might get less fees. For example, for example, my, again, my student loan servicer is Mohella. I had a Pell Grant in college, right? My student loans far exceed $20,000. This Biden student loan forgiveness program absolutely would not have had really any real impact for me. I still was going to start making student loan payments when the student loan repayments restarted. They still got fees for me. They still get fees for many other people. They were still going to collect fees. They might get less. But whenever those people got fees, and and there are people who, who I'm sure are in Mohella, who have lots of fees because they are public service 
persons. They like people who are teachers or firemen or policemen or other people who went to school and got student debt and went into governmental nonprofit or other sort of uh, public public uh, employment who qualify for the public service public service student loan forgiveness plan, right? So whatever their loan amount loan amounts are, when they do 10 years or 120 months worth of payments towards their public service, public student loan forgiveness, they get their loans discharged automatically. Are they going to sue over that too because they're losing fees? No. They can't. I mean, maybe they could. Are they, uh, would, would the Supreme Court rule against that too because the Supreme Court is now protecting the ability of, of a state, uh, what is it called? A state, uh, what's, what's the word? A state, what is, what, an instrumentality? Are they, because a state instrumentality can now get less fees because of a, a, a forgiveness plan is going to make them get less fees? Now this, this, this means harm? That's ridiculous. I flatly and plainly reject the idea. And I haven't even, I haven't even gotten to the dissent here. And I'm, I'll guarantee you that the dissent here, I haven't heard anything about the dissent when it comes to fees. I've heard a little bit of the dissent basically, you know, I've heard more about the dissent when it comes to the ruling about the website and gay marriages and stuff like that. I've heard much, I haven't heard much at all about the dissent when it comes to the student loan stuff. But the dissent, I mean, I guarantee that, these, that the dissent is going to be talking about this and basically laughing at the idea that harm is reached because they get less fees. I mean, I'm sure, yes, they're conser- this, this conservative six here in this court, I'm sure thinks, oh, well, we're getting less money, so therefore it's less harm. But it's ridiculous. Mohella wasn't, again, Mohella wasn't even part of this. Mohella was like, okay, fine. They're still going to get their fees. They're still going to get plenty of fees from servicing plenty of loans. And so, and they knew that, that there was going to be plenty of things. And did they sue over the past two years when there weren't any loan payments coming in? I guess maybe, maybe they were getting paid for servicing those loans for two years as, as, as the loan sat there and like, oh, I don't know. But it's absurd. It's an absolute absurdity here that you're going to, Hey, Lauren, what's going on? Don't try and understand Missouri. The state has a long-standing argument on noodling in state government. It's a dumb state. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that, Lauren. Appreciate your, your input on mis- mis- misery. The state of misery. Um, the secretary emphasizes that a, as a public corporation, Mohella has a legal, pers- a legal personality separate from the state, but as such an instrumentality created and supervised by the state to serve a public function remains for many purposes, at least part of the government itself. LeBron versus National Railroad Passenger Corporation Secretary also contends that because Mohella can sue on its own behalf, see, I didn't even get to what the Secretary said. I already said that. Um, Secretary, Mohella can sue on its own behalf, not Missouri. Mohella must be the one to sue. But where a state has been harmed in carrying out its responsibilities, the fact that it chose to exercise its authority through a public corporation it created and controls does not bar the state from suing to remedy that harm itself. Uh, with Article 3 satisfied, the court need not consider the state's other standing arguments. Again, 
the idea that they could sue, I mean, I guess because the state created it, yeah, I guess it could take actions on behalf of it. But the idea that the idea that it's losing fees is somehow harm, it can lose fees for many, many reasons. For, I mean, for, by that argument, the state could sue any discharge provision. It could sue over the constitutionality of any discharge provision, any of the ones listed here, any of the ones in the promissory notes, including death, uh, uh, dismemberment, bankruptcy, even though bankruptcy never happens or rarely ever happens, so to speak. Um, Yeah. So I call BS on, on the idea that Missouri is harmed by losing fees, but that's the way that Roberts and the other conservatives weaseled their way in to, to put their foot in the door and, and claim standing. So there you go. That's how they claim standing, and it's a bunch of bull. So here is Eckelon's Secretary to waive or modify existing statutory regulatory regulations, um, but does not allow the Secretary to rewrite the statute to an extent of canceling 40, $430 billion of student loan proposals. What does the amount matter? There's no stated limit, is there? What does the amount matter? There, there's, no, there's no prohibition on the amount. Why? Why does it matter? The text of the Heroes Act does not authorize the Secretary's loan forgiveness program. The Secretary's power under the Act to modify doesn't permit basic and fundamental changes to the scheme designed by Congress. Uh, instead, modify carries a connotation of increment or limitation. No, they're just rewriting words at this point and must be read to, me- must be read to mean to change moderately or in minor faction. Why? Why must it, be, must it be read to mean that? Who says? That is how the word is ordinarily used and defined, and the legal definition is no different. No. Modifications can be small or large. Like, you can use the word modify in many contexts. There's more than one definition of the word modify, and you can use modific- you can make minor modifications or major modifications. The, he's just making up things out of thin air to make his point, to satisfy his argument as to why the little people, the peons, can't get help. Because this is the, what this is about, the peons. The Republicans are complaining about, oh, the working class shouldn't, shouldn't be paying for the rich people to be able to get their student loans repaid. Again, this isn't about the rich people's loans getting paid off. I made this point argument in a short that I uploaded earlier. You know, I have a lot of student loans. My income is fine. You know, I, I still make enough to where I qualify for, I qualified for the Biden student loan forgiveness plan, but it didn't make a dent big enough in my student loan total to make a difference. I'm still going to have to make student loan payments for the rest of my student loan life, which might be well shortened because of the other Biden plans. But this is going to help the working class people who still have loans, but they're short or smaller. The ones, the ones who get them written off. It's ridiculous. 
The authority to modify statutes and regulations uh, allows the secretary to make modest adjustments. There's no state. He's reading words into the law that don't exist. If Congress wanted the modifications to be modest, it would say that they could make modest modifications. They're creating law. let's Let's start recording this again. The authority to modify statutes and regulations allows the secretary to make modest adjustments and additions to existing provisions, not transform them. This is why I call the Supreme Court an activist conservative court. If Congress only wanted the modifications of the student loans to be modest modifications, Congress would have said that they could only be modest. The word modest doesn't exist in the law. This activist conservative Supreme Court is inserting the word modest where it doesn't exist. They are creating law where it doesn't exist. They are rewriting the law as they go. They are making it up. They're like putting in little footnotes and drawing on it with crayon and saying, oh, well, this obviously means modest. Why? I don't know. I feel like it. They are an activist conservative Supreme Court. They are reading words that don't exist, that are not there. Man, they used to say that liberals do this. No, this is an activist conservative Supreme Court who, who are redefining the word modify, saying that modify implies small changes when modify can mean big changes. And they're saying that Congress meant for modify to mean modest adjustments, where There's nothing in there to say that it has to be modest. They're just making crap up as they go. It's ridiculous. Exactly. Legislating from the bench. Thank you, Elizabeth. As Elizabeth says in the chat, legislating from the bench. Prior to COVID-19 pandemic, modifications issued under the act were minor and had limited effect. This is an appeal to tradition logical fallacy. Just because the modifications that were made prior to the COVID-19 pandemic were minor and had limited effect, doesn't mean that those are the only modifications and adjustments that could be done. It just means that before COVID-19, that's only the, that's the only adjustments that needed to be done at the time. It doesn't mean that that's the only adjustments that could be done. What is wrong with these people? Like, I mean, look, we're on page three right now. This, this is written by Roberts, I believe, right? Like the opinion was written by Roberts. Let's scroll down. Roberts is the opinion of the court, but this sounds like an Alita ruling. I mean, these arguments sound like Alito wrote them, even though Roberts is claiming to have written them. I think Alito took over Roberts's body and uh, grabbed the pen and was like, no, I'm really, I'll write this for you, Doc. I got this, homie. Alito was like, you know what? I'll, I'll let you put your name on the homework, but I'll do your homework for you. I got this, bro. That's what happened behind closed doors, I think. Alito was like, no, don't worry about it. I got this. I got this for you. You go, you go take a nap. You go do this. I'll, I, I got this for you. I'm, I'm going to write this for you. I'm, I'm going to take care of this. Don't worry about it. I got you. And then he started writing this drivel, this horrific ruling, which we're only on page three, and it is so full of BS 
that Robert Gordon did that with Citizens United too. Um, yeah, but I mean, but who who was the Citizens? Who wrote Citizens United? That's the thing. Who was the uh, uh, who wrote the opinion on Citizens United? Let's let's check that real quick. Um, Citizens United Wikipedia. Do 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 do. Court membership. Uh, majority was Kennedy with with Citizens United, and the concurrence was Roberts, joined by Alito. Concurrence by Scalia. Uh, there was a weird. Citizens United was weird. So, anywho, but it was terrible as well. But it was it was the majority opinion was Kennedy. So. Um. Well, let's see. But the modifications challenge here created a novel and fundamentally different loan forgiveness program. Okay, so while it's novel and fundamentally different, that doesn't mean it's wrong. It doesn't mean it's against the rules. Just because you did something new doesn't mean it's against the rules. Doesn't mean it's against the text in the law. You have to prove that it's against the text of the law, and you haven't proven that just because you, you've just tried to redefine, modify. While Congress specified the Education Act, a few narrowly delineated situations that could qualify a borrower for loan discharge, the Secretary has extended such discharge to nearly every borrower in the country. It is highly unlikely that Congress authorized such a sweeping loan cancellation program, though such a subtle device as permission to modify. Highly unlikely. So he's speculating that. They're speculating as to what Congress would. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't say Congress didn't. It's just highly unlikely. It's, it's an opinion. Secretary responds that the act authorized him to waive legal provisions as well as modify them, and that this additional term grants broader authority that would modify a loan. Secretary's invocation of the waiver power here does not remotely resemble how it has been used in prior occasions. Again, just because it hasn't been used that way in the past, it doesn't mean he's prohibited from using that way in the future. Again, it's not like legal precedent. Just because other people in his position previously didn't use it that way, it doesn't mean that other people can't use it that way. Well, other people haven't used a hammer to do you. Well, I found a new way to use a hammer. Okay, is it, is it, does it work? Yes, cool. Well, let's use a hammer this way now too. Ridiculous. Do-do-do-do-do. Secretary next argues that the power to waiver modify is greater than the sum of its parts because waiver allows the secretary to eliminate legal obligations in their entirety. The combination of waiver modify must allow him to reduce them any extent short of waiver, even if the power to modify ordinarily does not stretch that far. But the challenged loan forgiveness program goes beyond that. In essence, the secretary has drafted a new section of the Education Act from scratch. No. Secretary hasn't drafted anything. Y'all are drafting a new thing. Y'all are drafting new words in the law that don't exist by changing the definition of modify and then inserting words like adjectives or adverbs, I guess adverbs in there that don't exist. Inserting at least implied adverbs that don't exist or not even establishing why those implied adverbs should exist when you haven't provided any example as to why they should exist. Secretary also cites procedural provision in HEROES directing the Secretary to publish notice in the Federal Register including the terms and conditions to be applied in lieu of such statutory regulated provisions. 
in the government's view, that language authorized both, both waiving and then putting the secretary's own requirements in a sort of red penciling of the existing law, but rather than implicitly granting the secretary authority to draft new substantive statutory provisions at will, this section simply imposes the obligation to report any waivers and modifications he has made. Secretary's ability to add new terms in lieu of the old is limited to his authority to modify existing law. Um, as with any other modification is issued under the act, no new term or condition reported pursuant with the blah, blah, blah. In sum, the Secretary's comprehensive debt cancellation plan is not a waiver because it augments and expands existing provisions dramatically. It is not a modification because it constitutes effectively introduction of a whole new regime. It's not a whole new regime. It's a one-time shot. It's not like everybody gets to do it from now on forever. It's not like everybody gets, it's not like every new student is going to be able to, after they get out of college, is going to get a one, is going to be able to chop off ten to $20,000 off the debt because they, if, if they took a Pell Grant or not. It's a one-time thing because of COVID. That's the point. That's the point here. You had a COVID pandemic that put a lot of people at a hardship. And because of the hardship that was created by the COVID-19 pandemic, they're going to make the modification. And that's the point of the Heroes Act, was you deal with the hardship that's caused by COVID-19 or any other national emergency. So for this one time, they're doing this one thing. It's not a new regime. It's not a new plan that lasts forever. It's a one-time shot. That just gives everybody a shot in the arm. So I don't know why it's a new regime, and it cannot be used in some combination, too, because when the secretary seeks to add to existing law, it's not adding to existing law. The fact that he has waived certain provisions does not give him free pass to avoid the limits inherent in the power to modify. There's no limits in the, in, in, in the power to modify. However, the broad meaning of waiver modified, that language cannot authorize the kind of exhaustive rewriting of the statute. He hasn't rewritten the statute. The secretary also appeals to congressional purpose, arguing that Congress intended to grant substantial discretion to the secretary to respond to unforeseen emergencies. Of course they did. They, of course they gave him the power to do that because it's an emergency. That's what usually happens in emergencies. Usually Congress grants the executive branch more authority to handle issues in an emergency because it's an emergency. Thank you, Donald. Even Donald agrees. At least, at least uh, soundboard Donald agrees. Regular Donald's an idiot. Thank you, Donald. I'm glad you agree with yourself. Um, on this view, the unprecedented nature of the Secretary's debt cancellation plan is justified by the pandemic's unparalleled scope. I agree. See? There you go. Secretary agrees with me. Uh, but the question here is not whether something should be done. It is who has the authority to do it. Well, Congress gave the authority of the Secretary to do it in an emergency. As the court's recent decision in West Virginia versus EPA, given the history and breadth of the authority asserted by the executive and the economic and political significance of that assertion, the court has reason to hesitate before concluding that Congress meant to affirm such authority. Well, of course, the EPA ruling that it made about the whole waters thing was absurd, too. So, I mean, the idea that, you know, that a puddle could be, that Alito made, that a puddle could be taken as waters of the United States, I mean... Go figure. Um, 
All this leads the court to conclude that the basic consequential trade-offs inherent in a mass debt cancellation programs are ones that Congress would likely have intended for itself. Um, well, maybe in a normal circumstance, sure. But in an emergency, it granted the powers to the executive branch to deal with these things in an emergency. And the COVID-19 pandemic was a... emergency as explained the heroes act provides no such authorization well bs now we're at the meet uh to ensure americans can keep up with increasing international competition congress authorized the first federal student loans in 1958 up to 1,000 per student each year jeez i I can only imagine benny low hey benny thank you for joining us i'm so happy you are here I say we clean house, sick of these MFers destroying our country. I agree with you. Um, they get a free half a million dollar fishing trips and we get shot on. Yes, we do. Um, I'm so sick and peace of these POS sequads. I agree. It's all written by assistants and lobbyists, Wes. Um, I mean, maybe, but... There's something specific about the Alito rulings that are just horrible in nature. They're just terrible. The Alito rulings are just specifically bad. Let's see. Higher Education Act uh, was enacted to increase educational opportunities and system making available benefits to post-secondary education, blah, blah, blah. So this is a history of history of student loans, yada, yada, yada. Shortly after September 11th, Congress became concerned that borrowers affected by the crisis, particularly those who served in the military, would need additional assistance. So we got HEROES Act. Law provided the Secretary of Education for a limited period of time with specific waiver authority to respond to conditions in a national emergency. Rather than allow this grant of authority to expire by its terms at the end of September 2003, Congress passed the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Act. Uh, The act extended the coverage of 2001 statute to include any war or national emergency by its terms, the secretary may waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision applicable to the student financial assistance programs under Title IV of the Education Act, as the secretary deems necessary in connection with a war or other military operation or or national emergency, which I think we can all agree, well, all of us in the Liberal Dan Radio chat room at least will agree that this is the COVID-19 pandemic was a national emergency. Now, you've got plenty of Americans who think the whole pandemic was a, a scamdemic or a plandemic or whatever, and who, uh, who, who disagree that it was an emergency and would have just wanted to go on with their regular lives and allow millions of Americans to die just because, you know, hey, why not? But, you know, it was a national emergency, therefore granting the authority to be done. The secretary may issue waivers and modifications only as may be necessary to ensure that the recipients of student financial assistance under Title IV who are affected individuals are not placed in a worse position financially in relation to that financial assistance because of their status as affected individuals. And I think everybody, because of the COVID-19 pandemic and the economic issues because of the COVID-19 pandemic, were all affected. An affected individual is defined in relevant part as someone who resides or is employed in an area that is declared a disaster area by federal, state, or local 
uh, official in connection with a national emergency or who has suffered direct economic hardship as a direct result of a war or military operation or national emergency as determined by the secretary. So Congress gives the secretary the ability to determine that it's a national emergency. And who, I guess, who, who is suffering from the, it was a national emergency. Then immediately polishing the act, the secretary issued two dozen waivers and modifications addressing a handful of specific issues. Uh, they waived the requirement that affected individuals must return to repay an overpayment, uh, certain grant funds, erroneously disturbed at first, uh, affected individual for loan cancellation, additional adjustments were made in 2012 with similar limited effects. Okay, again, so yeah, there were limited things that they did, but just because the secretary did some limited things doesn't mean that that's all the secretary can do. It's a logical fallacy to suggest that just because the secretary used this power in small ways before, that it means that they could only do small things in the future. It's a stupid opinion. I thought Roberts was a little bit smarter than that. Maybe I was wrong. Secretary took more significant action in response to COVID-19 pandemic. Well, duh. March 30th, March 13th, 2020, the president, president, on March 13th, 2020, the president declared the pandemic a national emergency. And who was the president in March 13th, 2020? It was Donald Trump. It wasn't Biden. It was Donald Trump. Donald Trump called it a national emergency on March 13th. That's before the lockdowns even, I I think. Via the presidential proclamation number 994, 85 register, 15337-15338, 2020. One week later, then Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos announced that she was suspending loan repayments and interest accrual for all federally held student loans. Why didn't Missouri sue then? Actually, let's start recording that point. On March 13, 2020, the president declared the pandemic a national emergency. One week later, then Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos announced that she was suspending loan repayments and interest accrual for all federally held student loans. Why didn't Missouri sue then? Well, because Donald Trump was president and Betsy DeVos was there. They didn't have political problems with Donald Trump and Betsy DeVos. So they had no problems then. They only have a problem now because it's Joe Biden. And sorry for repeating it, but, you know, sometimes when I want to have things that I'm going to record and maybe chop up later, it's easier for me to record it and then chop it up later. And I wasn't planning on recording that, but I was like, okay, let's re-record that real quick just so I can get up there. Um, So... It was already declared that, um, and if you, and if y'all get annoyed about the fact that I'm doing the suspense thing, just let me know and I'll stop. But I, I like kicking the dead horse every once in a while. So um, then Congress passed the Corona Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, um, and then you know blah 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 all the COVID things. We got PPP loans. They had no problems with the with the with the PPP loans getting paid out in return, but that's because all the rich people got the benefit. And remember, with the PPP loans, the PPP loans didn't go 100 percent to uh, to to payroll to paychecks. Remember that it wasn't a 100 percent paycheck thing. It was only like 70 something percent. Hold on a second, let me fix something real quick. It was like. 
75% or maybe even less that went to PPP loans that had to go to of the PPP loans that had to go to paychecks and like the other 25% could go to other things but like some of that money could go to the owners I guess as an owner paycheck but like it could go to other parts of the business too so if you got a million dollars in PPP loans $250,000 of that could go towards other aspects of your business. And as long as you put 750000 of that towards payroll, you got all of that refunded. And the Republicans had no problem with that, especially the Republicans in Congress who got PPP loans themselves. They had no problems with the hardworking uh, working-class citizens paying for the businesses per million dollar businesses and wealthy businesses have their businesses propped up. They have no problem with that, but they're going to complain that they have problems with so-called working class Americans paying for, you know, people who have 10 or $20,000 of student debt being canceled. Come on. It's ridiculous. Over a year and a half past, no further action beyond keeping repayment interest suspensions in place. August 2022, a few weeks before President Biden said the pandemic is over, Department of Education uh, announced that it was once again issuing waivers and modifications of the act, this time to reduce and eliminate student debts directly. Of course, it didn't reduce and re- eliminate all student debts. It just reduced and eliminated ten dollars to $20,000 of student debts. Again, a lot of people have much, much more than ten dollars to $20,000 of student debt. And a lot of people have student debt that's not federally held. Again, if you go look at the other case that was thrown out because they didn't have standing, some people's student debt are privately held and not held by the federal government. And some people who didn't get Pell Grants only got 10000 wiped out instead of 20000 wiped out or would have had this held up. Uh, Secretary, uh, during the first year of the pandemic, the Department's Office of General Counsel had issued a memorandum concluding that the Secretary does not have the statutory authority to provide blanket or mass cancellation, compromise, discharge, or forgiveness of student loan principal balances. So, that's one person's opinion, man. <laughs> After the change of presidential administration, shortly before the adoption of the challenge policy, however, Office of General Counsel formally rescinded its earlier legal memorandum and issued a replacement reaching the opposite conclusion. Well... One administration says one thing because they're Republicans, and another administration is, says another thing because they're Democrats. Shocker! Wait. Is there no surprise one? Darn it. I thought there was a surprise one. I think I have a surprise. Oh, wait. No, the surprise one is here. You know, there's, there's Democrats. You have Democrats, your Republicans believe one thing, and Democrats believe another thing. Shocker. Wait, why did that go that way? Did my thing get disconnected? Ah, that got disconnected too. That's weird. I don't know what just happened, but that was very strange. I don't know what, just testing my little thing out because it didn't seem like it worked well. Let's see if this works again. 
All right. So, yeah, they believe different things because they're different administrations of different political parties. Shocking of shocking things. The, the, the idea that uh, the Supreme Court justice would believe, would, would bring this up in a ruling that one office of general counsel will believe one thing under one administration, then another office of general counsel would believe one thing under different administration is not a surprise whatsoever. Um, terms of the debt cancellation plans are straightforward. Yes, they are. Very straightforward. Very simple. Six states move for a preliminary injunction claiming that the plan exceeded the secretary's statutory authority, even though it doesn't. Uh, the court concluded that Missouri likely had standing through Mohella, uh, a public corporation, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the, with the plan on pause, Secretary asked this court to vacate the injunction or to grant superiority before the judgment to avoid prolonging the uncertainty for the millions of borrowers. We granted the petition and set the case for expedited judgment. For addressing the legality, we must first ensure the states have challenged. Okay, let's uh, skip the – let's see. Under Secretary's plan, roughly half of all federal bars would have the loans completely discharged. Mahela could no longer service those closed accounts, costing it, by Missouri's estimate, $44 million a year in fees that it would have otherwise have earned under its contract under the Department of Education. Brief for Respondent 16, the financial harm is an injury, in fact, directly traceable to Secretary's plan. It's not an injury. You're not, like, taking money away from them, per se. You're just costing them fees. They're not entitled to fees. The plaintiffs are saying that they're entitled to our student loan fees. Let's let's repeat that again for the standing thing. The state of Missouri is making the argument that they are entitled to student loan fees, that they are entitled to the money that they get from our student loans. I want to repeat that another time because I want to be very clear that everybody understands the argument that's being made by the state of Missouri and the argument that was accepted by this activist conservative Supreme Court. The, the way that they were able to weasel their way into standing here was that they argued that if these loans were discharged, that the state of Missouri would be harmed because if these loans were canceled, they estimate that they would lose money because they no longer get the fees from servicing these loans from this corporate public corporation that Missouri created these services loans called Mohella. You're not entitled to these fees. There's no you don't have this entitlement for these. If all student loans went away tomorrow, tomorrow, you're not entitled to them. Like if McDonald's, like if everybody tomorrow just magically decided to go, okay, we're going to stop shopping at McDonald's tomorrow. Could McDonald's sue? Because they lost, you're not entitled to, to, your, to fees. It's ridiculous. If everybody, all of a sudden, who had student loans working, you know, that, got, that has their student loans through Mohella, decided to go work in the public, public sector and worked in the public sector for 10 years and got all of their loans discharged, Mohella would lose all of their fees immediately, and they would, and they would lose all their money coming in. You're not entitled to these fees. But conservatives want to talk about that liberals have a sense of entitlement. This is entitlement right here. This is extreme entitlement. 
They talk about people being leeches off of the, off the public dole. This is being leeches off the public dole. This is conservatives sucking the money out of the – they're talking – this is – this. I mean, I already made the hypocrite of the week for next week. Maybe I should redo it because this is they, – they want – the Republicans are wanting to say, maybe I should make two hypocrites of the week next week because – Maybe this should be just a fat man rant. Maybe I should redo this as a fat man rant because they are basically arguing that, oh, the working class people shouldn't be paying, shouldn't be working off of the, uh, shouldn't be working to pay off the, uh, the, the student loans of people who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. No, what this Supreme Court has done what this Supreme Court done it says, and what the state of Missouri has done, they've basically said that working class people, especially the people who only have ten or twenty thousand dollars left in their student loans, they've basically said that working class people now have to work to send fees to the state of Missouri so they don't lose money. It's the responsibility now, according to Republicans, according to the state of Missouri to work and pay additional money on their student loans so that the state of Missouri doesn't lose out on fees to service student loans. That's the harm that justified this lawsuit. You want to talk about bullshit, that's a big steaming pile of bullshit right there. You want to talk about a fat man rant, I do fat man rants. This is probably my biggest fat man rant of them all. That should piss everybody off right there. There's a whole bunch of stuff that this Supreme Court has done this term. And there's probably, and this, since, you know, Trump took over and they can't, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, Roe v. Wade getting overturned, crap. The ruling today that basically allowed the legal discrimination against LGBTQA folks, crap. But this is definitely top 10 BS. And it just exposes the Republican hypocrisy right now. And I, have, I hadn't heard this on any of the news channels. Not one. Not one news channel talked about this. None of them. Not one news channel today talked about the, the reason why Missouri was able to claim that, I mean, they, they said, oh, because of Mohella, but they didn't go into why. I hadn't seen it. Maybe they did, but I, and I watched it all day today and I had it in the background. I didn't see why. And I'll, I'll call her, I'll get to you in a second. They didn't get into this level of detail. That's why y'all listen to me, right? Because I get into this level of detail. I dig in deep, and I will tell you why this is the case and what the problem is. These Republicans are full of crap because they're going to wave your hands and they'll tell you not look at the man behind the curtain. They want the working class people to continue to pay on their student loans to make sure the state of Missouri can collect $44 million a year worth of fees. It's bullshit. 
Hey, caller, Hello? what's going on? Yes, is this Khalil? Yeah. What's up, Khalil? How's, what's going on? I recognize your number. Yeah, um, one of the things I noticed is about the Republican, the right-wing Republicans, I should say, is that they they would rather people protest against the illegal immigrants than the protest against the um, banks that do the illegal foreclosures. One of them right. made a comment like that on YouTube, even said that. They would, They said, why don't they protest against the illegals instead of the banks? You know, anytime you protest against an illegal, you're considered a patriot, but you protest against the banks that are the rich fat, fat cats. They tell you to get a job. It doesn't make sense. Well, yeah. Well, well, with all student loan things, they'll tell you. They'll sit here and say, well, um, well, why don't you read the loan disclosure documents when you sign the student loan, when you sign the promissory note? And I'll sit here and say, why don't you? Why don't you read the disclosure of the promissory note? Well, because if they read the disclosure of the promissory note, they would read that there, there are absolutely terms in the promissory note that allows for discharge of student loans including there are many circumstances in those promissory notes and and by not and by for them saying that you shouldn't be able to have your loans discharged they're telling you that you as a borrower should be precluded from getting to utilize the terms of the contract of the loan that you signed up for so i I always tell them you go read the promissory notes you go read it, and you come back and tell me. Because, look, I, I don't know how many 18-year-olds read those promissory notes. I don't know how many do. I did. When I was 18 years old, I read through every single line of it. I remember reading. I, I remember where I was. I was sitting at my dining room table in my apartment on Western Run Drive in Maryland. And I remember sitting in Baltimore, Maryland. I remember sitting there, and I'm looking, and I'm reading the document. And I'm saying, okay, I'm like looking at, oh, you can get your loan uh, discharged if you lose a limb. You know, that's interesting. I didn't think, I, I didn't want to lose a limb, but I thought it was interesting that if, if I go to, if, if for some reason I were to lose a limb, that I would no longer have to pay my student loans. I was like, you know, well, that, that's interesting that if that's a provision in the loan. You know, I was 18 years old reading this crap. They don't read these things. I'm surprised that half of them could read anyway. Maybe they need to go back to school, and then maybe they, but they might have to take out loans, and then they might have to be in the same situation that we're in, but then they might have to actually pass the test to go to college. But anyway, anything else, Khalil, before we move on? Uh, also, um, one of the things I've talked about, I haven't talked to you about this particular thing, but there, anytime you, you talk about the buyback program, there's a thing called the buyback program with guns. Right. So many people are so many people that claim that they are just against gun control because it's overreached. They're against that too. It's like you can't have it both ways. You can't be against gun control and be against destroying a criminal firearm, you know, or people giving up their firearm voluntarily without having to be forced, you know. So many of them are very selfish people when it comes to guns. They they don't want any type of thing that will only thing they think about is more guns. They don't think about, well, we should we should we should be content with our rights and then allow other people to destroy their guns or do that type of stuff if it as long as it doesn't get handled as long as it keeps people from the streets getting handguns on the street. They don't think about that the right wingers. All they think about is just more guns 
That's why right. Well, because the the right wing is beholden to the gun companies, and and because they 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 pay they pay homage to the NRA, and the NRA is part of the, one of the main people who you know who the who the Republican legislatures are beholden to, and so they're going to do the bidding of the NRA. And at the end of the day, the NRA doesn't actually support gun rights. The NRA is about gun manufacturers. The NRA supports the yeah. wants wants to make sure that gun manufacturers can make as many guns as whatever. As many, sell as yeah. many guns as possible. They don't care about gun rights. If, if the NRA cared about gun rights, the NRA would have would have would have fought against Ronald Reagan when he was governor of California. They got California passed legislation to try and prevent the Black Panthers from having guns, like back in the I think it was the 60s or whatever. Um, and the NRA did nothing to prevent the uh, to prevent the to prevent that legislation from passing because the NRA the NRA doesn't want the, the Black Panthers to have guns. The NRA, the NRA, you know, there's, there's a great, if you look up, I think it was um, Funny or Die. If you look up Funny or Die NRA on YouTube, uh, there's a great video where they have these two white guys talking about the right to bear arms or whatever. And then all of a sudden, this, this, uh, the black guy comes in and talks about how he's arming his brothers to stand up to the, to the oppressors or whatever. Um, and it's a great video. I recommend everybody watch it because there's a lot of truth and humor. And because uh, the, the, the NRA gun types get real cringy and real upset when, when you start talking about, oh, well, well, let's arm some of the black people, too. And they're like, oh, well, we don't want that. You know, we don't want that to happen at all. It's just like, you know, the, 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 the conservatives are very pro. Uh, they're only back to blue whenever the only they're only back to blue when back to blue kills black people. They're not back yeah. to blue when back to blue arrests MAGA. And stuff like that. Anywho, yeah, I do want to get on no. with. I do want to. I, I I hate to cut you off, Khalil. I do want to start to get back to talking about the Supreme Court rulings. I do love when you call in, though. Um, so thank you very much, Khalil, for calling in. I, I love your support. I appreciate you calling in. Um, but I do want to get back to the Supreme Court ruling. But uh, thank you very much for calling in. Appreciate you, man. Call back another time. Uh, thank you so much. All right, bye. All right, that was Khalil again, Khalil. Great caller. Love to have him call in. I did want to. I did want to. Do need to get back to the topic at hand because on Blog Talk Radio, at least, we do only have a minute, an hour and thirty-six seconds, hour and thirty-six minutes left. We're halfway through the Blog Talk Radio time. I will continue on this as I go. Vincent is like Dan is on fire tonight or something. Dan is a little rambunctious tonight. Yes, I am. I will get rambunctious tonight, and I'm going to get a little rambunctious again later because I probably will. Um, I need to take a note of this. Let me let me just take a note of uh, let's see, Fat Man Rant, page thirteen, ruling. Make sure that I can have that so to take the screenshot of it, so that make sure that uh, I can take a screenshot of this argument to make sure that I have a screenshot for it for the Fat Man Rant. Because while I did record what I what I recorded, I wanna I wanna I don't know if I'm gonna use that for the Fat Man rant. I might just use that for the Fat Man rant. I might just just do the I'm gonna say I I ranted a little bit on this thing, and here is the rant. And I might just do that and just have it be that and be the end of it. But and maybe edit it a little bit, or I might just make a brand new rant. I don't know. It might just be better to uh, I might just be better to just do the live to do the live one. But like this is my rant from tonight. And instead of making a new one, here's how it was when I was live on my on my on my on the podcast when I got to the 
the explanation as to why Missouri claimed to be harmed. Yeah. Let's see. I might have more ranting to do because I'm not done yet with the Missouri. So let's, let's record some more. Uh, the plan to harm Mohella is also a harm to Missouri. Mohella is a public instrumentality of the state. Missouri revised statutes 173.360. Missouri established the authority to perform the essential public function of helping Missouri, uh, Missourians, Missourians, Missourians access student loans needed to pay for college. Um, Is it really for Missourians? Again, I have a student loan. I have student loans. They're consolidated under the federal government. I live in Louisiana, but my loan servicer is Mohella. So, why am I serviced by Mohella? So Mohella clearly doesn't just deal with Missourians, Missourians, whatever the hell it is. I'm being served. So it's not just Missourians that are being that are being uh, that are being uh, serviced by Mohella, so to speak. Um, Missouri established the authority to perform the essential public function of helping Missourians access student loans to pay for college and, I guess, other people. To fulfill this public purpose, the authority is empowered by the state to invest in, our, in or finance student loans, including by issuing bonds. It may also service loans and collect reasonable fees for doing so. Its profits help fund education in Missouri or Missouri. Mohella has provided $230 million for developments and projects at Missouri colleges and universities and almost $300 million in grants and scholarships for Missouri students. Uh, the authority is subject to the state's supervision and control. Its boards consist of two state officials and five members appointed by the governor. The governor can remove any board member for cause. Mohella must provide annual financial reports to the Missouri Department of Education detailing its income, expenditures, and assets. The authority is therefore directly answerable to the state. Uh, the state sets the term of its existence, and only the state can abolish Mohella and set the terms of its dissolution by law and function. Mohella is an instrumentality of Missouri. It was created by the state to further a public purpose. It's governed by state officials and state appointees and reports to the state and may be dissolved by the state. The Secretary's plan will cut Mohella's revenues, impairing its efforts to aid Missouri college students. This acknowledged harm to Mohella is the performance of the public function is necessary direct injury to Missouri itself. Again... They are making the argument that it is the requirement that, that, that the harm that, 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 is, that is the responsibility of the, the to, in order to aid the Missouri students, it is the responsibility of, 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 the, of the working class citizens who make their student loan payments to pay fees to support Missouri students to go to school, regardless of who they are. So it is the responsibility of these people to pay Missouri's public education and not just Missourians or Missourians or Missourians or whatever, however hell you pronounce it, depending on your pronouncement of Missouri, it's everybody who has a loan serviced by Mohella, including myself and others. So why is it my responsibility to make sure that Missouri can cover its financial obligations? Why is it my problem? To make sure that they can cover their financial obligations. That's their problem. They should take the financial responsibility. Maybe they shouldn't put all their eggs in one basket. Huh? 
We came to a similar conclusion 70 years ago in Arkansas v. Texas. Arkansas sought to invoke our original jurisdiction in a suit against Texas, claiming that Texas had wrongfully interfered with the contract between the University of Arkansas and a Texas charity. Texas argued the suit did not proceed because the university did not stand in the shoes of the state. Harm to university as Texas sought was not harm to Arkansas sufficient to state. We disagreed. Uh, Arkansas must, of course, represent an interest in her own, not merely citizens or corporations, blah, 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 blah. The state had labeled the university an instrument of the state in the performance of a governmental work. The university served a public purpose, blah, 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 blah. The secretary and, and the dissent assert Mohella's injuries should not count as Missouri's because Mohella Public Corporation has a legal personality separate from the state. Every government corporation has such a distinct personality. It is a corporation, after all, with the powers to hold and sell property and to sue and be sued. Yet such an instrumentality created and operated to fulfill a public function. Nonetheless, for many purposes apart, blah, 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 in LeBron, Amtrak was sued for refusing to display a political advertisement on a billboard at one of its stations. Amtrak argued it was not subject to the First Amendment because it was a corporation separate from the government. Congress had even specified it is authorizing statute that Amtrak was not an agency or establishment of the United States. Despite the disclaimer, we held that Amtrak remained subject to the First Amendment because it functioned as an instrumentality of the federal government. Blah, blah, blah. We reiterated the point in Department of Transportation versus the Association of American Railroads. Blah, blah, blah. We rejected the contention, noting that Amtrak was created by the government. It's controlled by the government, operates for the government's benefit. Principle holds true here. The secretary and sent contend that because Mahela can sue on its own behalf, not Missouri, must be the one that sued. But Arkansas and the University of Arkansas could have asserted its right on its own, the university governing statute. And look, here, here's the thing. I will agree in principle that because Missouri, Missouri, the Mohella is an instrumentality or whatever of Missouri, that Missouri or Missouri or Misery or whatever has the authority to sue on its behalf. Fine. I'll grant the majority that. But I will be damned if I will grant them the idea that they are harmed because they can't collect fees from student loan borrowers. Fuck that. And I don't usually curse on my podcast much. Hell no. Absolutely not. Benny Loco, you can say whatever freaking curse you want tonight. I don't give a shit. <laughs> tonight Friday night is apparently, especially when dealing with this damn ruling, curse all you want. Well, not all you want, but for every curse I say, you can say a curse too. It's a, every curse I say is a free pass to say one. How about them apples? So yeah. So I don't believe Article 3 is satisfied. Not because of the fact that Missouri can't sue on behalf of Mahela. Again, I'll grant them that. But the idea that Mohella and as such through Mohella, Missouri is harmed because they won't be able they won't be able to get fees off of the students of the former students. Yeah. Screw that and screw you, Missouri, and screw you, Roberts and the rest of the six, for thinking that you have any entitlement to student loan fees.
Benny, look, Benny, I'm just happy you're here. I'm just happy you came to the chat. So thank you for coming. I appreciate that you're here. Hey, Andrea, how's it going? <laughs> yes, it is bullshit, Andrea. What the heck is wrong with SCOTUS? Um, Hillary's emails is what is wrong with SCOTUS. That's what's wrong with SCOTUS. Hillary Clinton's emails. Because that's the whole problem. Everybody had a problem, at least, what is it? How many thousands, 70,000 people had a problem with, in three states, had problems with Hillary Clinton's emails or with the fact that Hillary Clinton was a woman. Therefore, they flipped from Bernie Sanders to Trump or had a problem with the fact that Bernie Sanders didn't get elected, so they got mad at the Democratic Party and flipped to the Donald Trump ticket from the primaries to the general election just to screw over the Democratic Party. And despite the fact that everybody tried to warn them that Donald Trump can name up to three Supreme Court justices, and as such, many things would be on the line if he did so. And guess what? Her emails, all because of the emails, we got Donald Trump. Donald Trump got to replace Scalia. Donald Trump got to replace, got to blackmail or whatever happened with Kennedy. And then he got to replace Ginsburg. And then they got to replace Roe and Casey. And now we got this BS. And we got the other BS. Secretary of Search the Heroes grants him the authority to cancel $430 billion of student loan principal. It does not. Why? Why does it not? We hold today the act allows the secretary to waive or modify existing statutory regulatory provisions applicable to financial assistance programs under Education Act, not to rewrite the statute from the ground up. It was not rewritten. It's still in force today. If they would have held that this that he had the authority to do it, it would still be in force today. Again, he has the ability to do a one-time thing in an emergency. Donald Trump named this a national emergency. He did it. We responded to a national emergency by doing lots of things. PPP loans, EIDL loans. And now the Biden administration tried to forgive some of the student loans. But for some reason, well, I know the reason, they didn't want to help the peons. They only want to help the big guys, the fat cats. Here is that authorized secretary to waive or modify any statutory regulatory provision. Let's see, we're going to go over this crap again because they like to reassert everything. To begin the statutory provision to modify does not authorize basic or fundamental changes to the scheme. Uh, it's not a, it's not a it's not a fundamental change to the scheme. It's a one-time thing. Instead, that term carries a connotation of incremental limitation. It does not. That is that is uh, legislating from the bench uh, to make minor changes in the form of structure without uh, transforming. Let's see Black's Law Dictionary. Let's see Black's Law. 
Dictionary. Free online legal dictionary. Modify. To alter. Colon. To change in incidental or subordinate features. See modification. Okay. So here's what Roberts did. Let's see. Let's see. Hold on. I don't even know if he did that right. He even lied. They're lying. I just looked up the law. The, the law. Let's see. Hold on. You, the law dictionary featuring. Maybe. Hold on. Maybe that's not correct. Hold on. Can we not search Black's Law Dictionary online? That's just an, that's that's a let's see. That's just an app. Any local vote? We'll see. A vote for Bernie was a vote for Trump. How do you know that? But we'll see. Voting for Bernie in the primary is fine as long as you went from Bernie to to Hillary. Problem is in those three states in Wisconsin, Michigan, or Pennsylvania, there were there were there was a significant number of people, like twelve percent of the Bernie primary voters did then vote for Trump. So Try to see if you can find Black's Law Dictionary like online. Online. Search Black's Law's Dictionary. On the home page, select secondary sources. Do, 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 do. Where is it? I don't even see it. I don't even see it. Over here. Legal. Who knows? I don't know. Probably something you have to pay for. Legal definition of modify. Modification. According to Cornell Law School, modification, any change or alteration. Any change or alteration. It doesn't have, according to Cornell Law School, any change or modification. So, Roberts is just cherry-picking what he wants to get, what he wants to just justify his weird-ass his weird ass definition of what he wants it to say just so he can change the meaning of the law. Again, 
Roberts is legislating from the bench in order to try and claim that the secretary is rewriting law. I, have, I could have like 17 hypocrites of the week this week. Let's see. Buh, 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 buh. Secretary's previous invocations of the HEROES Act illustrate this point. Prior to COVID-19, modifications implemented again. Just because the previous secretaries had procedural cha- changes doesn't mean that you can't do more than procedural changes. Stupid. Secretary's new modifications of the provisions were not moderate or minor. They don't have to be. We've already covered that. Um, in my situation, a ten or twenty thousand dollar adjustment in my financial aid would have been minor. It would have been inconsequential. It wouldn't have changed anything. Um, let's see. The new program. It's not a new program. It says the new program vests authority in the Department of Education to discharge up to ten thousand dollars for every borrower. It's it's a one time thing. It doesn't give the, the permanent authority to do this. It's a one time thing. Because we're in an emergency. Secretary's plan has modified the cited provisions only in the same sense that the French Revolution modified the status of the French nobility. That is absolutely an Alito-esque type of thing. I mean, that's like how Dobbs v. Jackson cited some law in the 1600s crap. I mean, come on. No. Again, you are Roberts is is picking and choosing the meaning of the word modify to suit his purposes to legislate from the bench. Because again, I'm looking at the Cornell Law School website. Modification is any change or alteration, any change. It can be small, it can be large. He's just picking and choosing one that suits his purposes for this ruling, so that he can change the meaning of the law, and as such, then claim that the secretary is changing the meaning of the law. But in fact, it is the justice, the chief justice himself, that is changing the definition of the law to suit his purposes. Congress opted to make, let's see, Congress opted to make debt forgiveness available only in a few particular exigent circumstances. The power to modify does not permit the secretary to convert that approach in this opposite. No, Congress delineated several examples of when you could you know, discharge debt regularly. And then Congress also gave the ability to the secretary to, in a time of an emergency, and Donald Trump said that the COVID-19 pandemic was a national emergency, to be able to alter and modify the rules and ignore some of the rules to Deal with that emergency so that people don't have an undue hardship. Because laws don't exist in a vacuum. Congress had a list of things that you could normally do, and then Congress said, this is what the secretary can do in an emergency. Normally, this. In an emergency, this. We're in an emergency, or we were in an emergency, so therefore, this. It's very simple and very straightforward Roberts is making it much more complicated than it has to be, especially when he inserts words that don't exist, inserts adverbs that don't exist, inserts meanings that don't exist, cherry picks definitions, and then legislates from the bench because he's the chief justice of an activist conservative Supreme Court. 
Then the secretary responds that the act authorizes him to waive legal provisions as well as modify them and that the additional term grants broader authority than modify alone. Secretary's identification, the waiver power here does not remotely resemble how it was used on prior occasions. Uh, again, beating the dead horse of ju- that Justice Roberts is doing. Um, again, just because it was done on prior occasions doesn't mean that it has to be done the same way in future occasions. It is the logical fallacy of an appeal to tradition. Conservatives on the court love the logical fallacy of appeal to tradition. Just because it was done a certain way doesn't mean it has to continue to be done that way ad nauseum. For some reason, conservatives love to continue things, to do things. You've done this thing one way. You have to do it that way the entire time. No. Had Congress intended for modifications to only be minor in emergencies, Congress should have said the secretary can only make minor modifications in emergencies. That's not what Congress did. Congress gave the secretary broader powers to modify. They didn't say make minor modifications. They said modify and waive. Modify and waive mean two specific things. Modify means any change or alteration. Wave means ignore. It's as simple as that. And he's trying to, again, manufacture adverbs and manufacture definitions out of thin air to pander to the state of Missouri's ability to make sure that the working class Americans can pay its fees to fund its education programs. Batman Rant 2.0. <clears throat> Say hi to your cousin, Elizabeth. Enjoy your time with your cousin. Thank you for joining us for the, for the live stream. Let's see. How much, how much more can the, can the Chief Justice beat the dead horse? Hmm, hmm, hmm. Because the waiver allows the secretary to eliminate legal complications or tiny, the argument runs the combination of waiver modify allows to reduce them in any shorter waiver, even the power to modify ordinary does not stretch the floor. Blah, 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 blah. Um, lastly, the secretary points to procedural provision in, let's see. Lastly, the secretary points to procedural provision in the HEROES Act. The act directs the secretary to publish notice in the Federal Register, including the terms and conditions to be applied in lieu of such statutory regulatory provisions. In the Secretary's view, the language authorizes both deleting and then adding back in, waiving and then putting his own requirements in. It's sort of red penciling of the existing law section, whatever is, however, a wafer-thin reed on which to rest such sweeping power, whatever that means. Uh, The provisions is is no more than it appears to be a humdrum reporting requirement rather than implicitly granting the Secretary authority uh, to draft new substantive statutory provisions at will. It simply imposes the obligation to report any waivers and modifications. I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, he, has to, he just has to report it. Uh, the dissent accordingly reads the statute as a thought surprising any degree of change or any new addition from modest to substantial, and nothing in dissent's analysis suggests stopping it at substantial because the secretary does not have to leave gaping holes 
uh, when he waives provisions, the argument runs, it follows that any replacement terms the secretary uses to fill those holes must be lawful, but the secretary's ability to add new terms in lieu of the old is limited to his authority to modify existing law. As with any other modification issued under the act, no new term or condition reported pursuant to whatever may distort the fundamental nature of the provision it alters. I mean, okay, secretary's comprehensive debt cancellation plan cannot be fairly called a waiver. Uh, why? It not only nullifies existing provisions, but augments and expands them, and dramatically it cannot be mere modification because it constitutes effectively an introduction of a whole new regime. Again, modify as any change or alteration. If it changes it or alters it, it changes it or alters it. And if it waves it, it waves it, ignores it. That simple. I don't know why he has to make it that hard. That's what she said. Final bid to elide the statutory test. The secretary appeals to congressional purpose. Let's see if, let's say if, again, haven't read the act or haven't read the act, hadn't read the, hadn't read this whole, this is the first time I'm reading through the whole thing. Let's see, let's see if, if it gets to the point that I made. Let, let's see if it gets to the point that I made. A final bid to elide the statutory text. Secretary appeals to the congressional purpose. The whole point of the HEROES Act the government contends is to ensure that in the face of a national emergency that is causing financial harm to borrowers, the secretary could do something uh, and that something was left deliberately vague because Congress intended to grant substantial discretion to the secretary to respond to unforeseen emergencies. That's what I said. I didn't listen to the secretary's argument. That was my argument immediately. So the unprecedented nature of the secretary's debt cancellation plan only reflects the pandemic's unparalleled scope. Yes. The dissent agrees. The dissent is smart. The majority is dumb. Its reasons and more serious measures must be expected in response to more serious problems. That's what I said. Maybe I should have been a lawyer. Maybe. Too late now. I'm I'm a software developer and I guess a podcaster now. But maybe I should have been a lawyer. Who knows? The defense interpretation here is that would grant a limited power to secretary uh, to not only modify waive certain things, but fill holes and no terms, whatever, but only in an emergency and only temporary, only in an emergency and only temporary. Like it could only do it like once, like temporary things. And then when it, when the emergency was over, it would go back to normal. Like you couldn't just, it's, you can't just rewrite the law and have it be the new law to the end of time. He can make a change to deal with the emergency, and then once the emergency is over, it goes back to normal. It's not a new regime, as for some reason the Roberts likes to pull out of the air and make something new. The question is not whether something should be done, it's who has the authority to do it. Uh, Congress granted the authority to do it to the secretary. That's easy. Easy question. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. So here, too, is where the secretary claims the authority on his own to release 43 million borrowers from their obligations to replay 430 billion in student loans. The secretary has never previously claimed powers of this magnitude. No one can repel powers of that magnitude. Um, Okay, but just because he hasn't previously done that, it doesn't mean he can't do it now. Another appeal to tradition by Roberts. 
beating the dead horse. In that 2003, Secretary waived requirements to borrowers seeking loan forgiveness of their education to access public service discharge, perform uninterrupted, otherwise qualifying service for a specified length of time or for consecutive periods of time. This waiver simply eased the requirements for service to be uninterrupted to qualify for public service loan forgiveness programs. And some no regulation promised on heroes has ever begun to approach the size or scope of the Secretary's program. But that doesn't mean that it has to. Like, it doesn't mean that it has to be that small. It can be large if, if the emergency needs it to be. Under the government's reading of the HEROES Act, the Secretary would enjoy virtually unlimited power to rewrite the Education Act. Doesn't, no, he can't rewrite the Education Act, but he could do, depending on the size and scope of the emergency, he could do broader things with his powers based on the emergency. Let's say the entire financial system of the, of the planet collapsed. Would I still have to repay my student loans or could the secretary say, all right, we have the entire collapse of the entire financial system. We have, we have the collapse of the entire financial system of the entire world. But y'all still all your student loan debt. Or the, 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 the dollar has went to crap. And now inflation has gone sky high and the dollar is worthless now. Um, but you, you all still owe your money. What then? A, a financial emergency is declared. The dollar is worthless. Nobody has the money to buy anything. We can't buy bread. We can't buy food. We can't buy anything. We're all poor and destitute. Financial emergency ensues. Congress can't do anything or won't do anything. Secretary can no longer can't, can't do anything about it because Supreme Court says, well, this isn't an emergency enough because it's only minor. It's only a minor thing that can be done. It's stupid. No, the reason that Congress authorizes the executive branch to have powers in an emergency is to deal with the emergency at hand and the size of the authority to do things in an emergency should be the applicable to the size of the emergency, period, end of story. And I guess Roberts and the majority of the, the conservative majority, the activist conservative majority are too dumb to realize that. Do, 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 do. Dissent is correct in that this is the case about one branch of government arrogating itself of power belonging to the other, but this is the executive branch seizing power of the legislature. No, the Congress granted the power in an emergency because in an emergency, you don't have to have, you don't have the time to deal with certain things. And sometimes you have to let the, the, the executive branch deal with things quickly. That's why even though Congress has the authority to declare war, the president can still like deploy troops and stuff. Example. <sighs> Let's see. Nancy, this is where they quote Nancy. People think the president of the United States has the power for death forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone, he can delay, but he doesn't have the power. This has to be an act of Congress. Yes. Normally in two thousand and six, yes. Again, this is where they quote Nancy Pelosi on page 28. In 2006, 
Nancy Pelosi said, people think the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He could postpone. He could delay, but he does not have, oh, wait, this is 2021. Okay, never mind. Um, that has to be an act of Congress to, to generally do it, but he has the power in an emergency to do it. Or he doesn't, the president doesn't have the power to do it. And she's correct. All right, so let's start that over again. The president of the United States does not have the power of debt forgiveness. He does not. It says it has to be an act of Congress. But there is an act of Congress that grants somebody the power to do something, which is the act of Congress in an emergency gives the secretary the authority to do it. And not, not a blanket elimination completely, but he could do this. Simple as that. Aside from reiterating the interpretation of the statute, let's see. The dissent insists that student loans are the secretary's wheelhouse. <laughs> Again, what I said. Why, why is it like I, I – like, again, I should have been a lawyer. My mother once said one time, like maybe 10 years ago, 10 years ago, my mother once – actually, no. In high school, I was decide, trying to decide what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, maybe I should be a lawyer because one of the games I like to play included a lot of, like, looking up stuff, like, in books. It was a very complicated game, and they called us rules lawyers. And I was like, maybe I should be a lawyer. And my mom was like, you don't have the killer instinct to be a lawyer. So I did. I became a software developer eventually. Ten years or so ago, maybe a little more. My mom goes, why did you never become a lawyer? You should have become a lawyer. You told me not to. You said I lacked the killer instinct to be a lawyer. Maybe I should have been a lawyer because, I mean, I'm, I'm making these arguments. And then I, as I get further down the ruling, I, the dissent has made these arguments. Let's see. Boo, 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 boo. Secretary of his part acknowledges that West Virginia is the law, but for brief, but, but he objects that the principles apply only in cases concerning emergency actions impelling the power to regulate, not the provisions of the government benefits. Court has never drawn the line. The secretary suggests for good reason. Blah blah blah. Okay, let's, let's skip a little bit. Uh, it has become a disturbing feature of some recent opinions to criticize the decisions which they disagree is going beyond the proper role of the judiciary. Today we have concluded that the instrumentality or let's 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 go back into this because this might have to be part of the fat man rant. It has become a disturbing feature of some recent opinions to criticize the decisions in which they disagree going beyond the proper role of the judiciary. Today we have concluded that an instrumentality created by Missouri, governed by Missouri and answerable to Missouri, is indeed part of Missouri. That the words waiver modified does not mean completely rewrite, and that our president, old and new, requires uh, Congress speak clearly before the department secretary can unilaterally alter in large sections of the American economy. Um, well, I mean, they spoke clearly. They spoke clearly by giving the secretary the power to waive and modify. And if they wanted to speak more clearly that that waiving and modify the waivers and modification needed to be minute in scale or that they needed to be constrained as tightly as possible, they should have specified that. But it is, Chief Justice Roberts and the majority that reads too much into it. It's not the, it's not the minority or the, or the dissent that's reading too much into it. It's the majority that's reading too much into it. 
Uh, we have employed the traditional tools of judicial decision-making in doing so. Reasonable minds may disagree with our analysis. In fact, at least three do so. Um, well, reasonable minds may disagree, but unreasonable minds came up with, with the majority opinion. We do not mistake this plainly heartfelt disagreement for dis- dis- disparagement. It is important that the public not be misled either. Any such misperception could be harmful to this institution or country. What's harmful for this institution, this country, is the fact that we have an activist conservative Supreme Court that has basically just ruled that, is that the harm that is done in the state of Missouri is that by allowing these loans to be discharged, that the harm is, is that student loan repayers will stop paying fees to the state of Missouri. That's the harm that allowed this state to continue. The sense of entitlement that the state of Missouri has is crazy. The judgment of the district court for Eastern District is reversed, blah, 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 blah. Ridiculous. I want small clips. I'm have to go through when this is over. It is so ordered. Uh, Barrett concurs. I join the court's opinion in full. I write separately to address the state's argument that under the the major questions doctrine, we can uphold the secretary's loan cancellation program only if he points to clear congressional authorization. Um, So the parties have devoted a significant attention to major questions doctrine. Uh, yeah, for the reason I do not see the major questions doctrine that way. Rather, I understand it to emphasize the importance of the context of the court interpreter. Uh, uh, we can skip Barrett. I really don't have any reason. That, I mean, whatever. Let's just, well, let's just, what is the major questions doctrine? I typed major and I got as my first hit major questions doctrine. I wonder why. Major questions doctrine is the principle of statutory interpretation in the United States administrative law, which states that courts will presume that Congress does not delegate to executive agencies issues of major political or economic significance. Okay, but they did. In the time of emergency, they did. So, F you. F you, Barrett. So let's just go ahead and skip old Barrett and go on to the dissent. I don't even know if we're going to get to uh, get to the next one. Justice Kagan, with whom Justice Sotomayor and Justice Jackson join, dissenting. In every in every respect, the court today exceeds its proper limited role in our nation's governance. I mean, let's let, let's read that again. In every respect, the court today exceeds its proper limited role in our nation's governance. I mean, mic drop, boom, air horn, cover your ears. What else can you do? Some 20 years ago, Congress enacted legislation. Uh, Secretary's authority was bounded. He could only do what was necessary to alleviate the emergency's impact on affected borrowers' ability to repay. Within the bounded area, Congress gave discretion to the Secretary. He could waive or modify any provision applying the federal student loan programs, including provisions relating to student loan repayment and forgiveness in doing so, he could replace the old provisions with new terms and conditions. The secretary, that is, could give the relief that was needed in the form he deemed most appropriate to counteract the effects of a national emergency on Bauer's capacity to repay. That may have been a good idea or it may have been a bad idea. Either way, it's what Congress said. Yes, plainly and simply, Congress said that. And if Congress had wanted it to say any other thing, it would have worded it that way. And maybe if it didn't word it that way, but look, 
if they are so-called textualists, if Congress, if these six conservatives are so-called textualists like they claim to be, they would have followed the textualism of, of, their, of their belief system and followed the text and not inserted new text, right? Kagan is, without, without saying it, without saying the word textualism, Kagan is calling out them for being hip- hypocrites on being textualists, except for when they're not. Period. What? Okay, don't but duck. But I don't need I don't need your face on here either. All right, hold on. Thomas. Pain in my ass. <laughs> when COVID hit, two secretaries serving two different presidents decided to use their Heroes Act authority. First, suspended loan repayments and interest accrual for all federally held loans. Second, continued the policy for a time, then replaced it with loan forgiveness. Both relied on Heroes language cited above in establishing the loan forgiveness plan. The current secretary scratched the pre-existing conditions for loan discharge and specified different conditions, opening loan forgiveness for more borrowers. So he waived and modified statutory regulatory provisions and applied other terms and conditions in their stead. That may have either been a good idea or may have been a bad idea. Either way, the secretary did only what Congress had told him he could. Again, plain, simple text. They wrote the text. He followed the text. Textualists should have followed the text that was written by Congress. And Justice Roberts and the majority did not follow the text that was written. They inserted additional text. So therefore, they are not being textualists in this case. Court's first overreach was deciding that it at all. Article 3 of the Constitution, a plaintiff must have standing to challenge the government action. Here we go. Let's see if she's, let's see if I'm right. Yes, thank you. Let's see if that requires a personal stake and injury. In fact, we do not allow plaintiffs to bring suit just because they oppose a policy. Again, I believe that opposition of a policy, if you believe a policy is unconstitutional, that you should be able to challenge governmental action just because you believe it constitutes unconstitutional. But again, you don't play the game in the, by the rules you wish the game was played. You play the game by the rules that exist as they are. So therefore, you have to follow the rules as they are. The rules as they are say you must be able to prove an injury. So therefore, if you can't prove injury, you can't bring the case. Um, those rules may sound tactical, but they enforce fundamental limits on federal jurisdiction power. They keep courts acting like courts or stay the other way around. They prevent courts from acting like this court does today. Ooh, that's some shade right there. She just threw some shade. Damn. The plaintiffs in this case are six states that have no personal stake in the Secretary's loan forgiveness plan. They are classic ideological plaintiffs. They think plan is a very bad idea. They are no worse off because the Secretary differs in giving those states a form. They are adjudicating their complaint. The courts forget its proper role. The courts act as if, though, it is the arbiter of political and policy disputes rather than the cases and controversies. And the courts, and again, remember, remember this for later, because I'm going to try, we may not be able to talk about this on Blog Talk Radio, because my Blog Talk Radio time is probably going to run out. But when we talk about the other ruling, about the website host and the, and the gay marriage, Brett with the gay marriage websites and her refusal to want to have to do gay marriage websites, even though she's never been asked to make a gay marriage website. When we talk about that, you know, you have to be able to prove harm. She never proved any harm. So it was allowed to continue. 
Court's rule confusion persists when it takes up the merits. For years, the court insisted that the way you keep judges' policies, views, and preferences out of the historical decision-making is how to, is to hew to statute's text. Heroes' acts text settles the legality of the secretary's loan forgiveness plan. Statute provides the secretary with broad authority to give emergency relief to student loan borrowers, including by altering usual discharge rules. As I said, what the secretary did fits comfortably within that delegation, but the court forbids him to proceed. As in other recent cases, the rules of the game change when Congress enacts broad delegations, allowing agencies to take substantial regulatory measures. Then, as in this case, the court reads statutes unnaturally, seeking to cabin their evident scope. The court then applies heightened specificity requirements, thwarting Congress's effort to ensure adequate responses to unforeseen events. The result here is that the court substitutes itself for Congress, and then the executive branch in making national policy about student loan forgiveness. Congress authorized the forgiveness plan, among many other actions the secretary put in place, and the president would have been accountable for its success or failure. But this court today decides that some 40 million Americans will not receive the benefits the plan provides because, so says the court, the assistance is too significant. With all respect, I dissent. With all, but notice you didn't say all due respect, but with all respect, I dissent. <laughs> she should have said all due respect. I would have, I would have loved that. Vince, we play spot the Republican. LOL. Um, let's see. No principle is more fundamental to the judiciary's proper role in our system. In our system, federal courts should now possess a roving commission to publicly opine on every legal question. Um, here, the plaintiff cannot rest his claim on a third party's rights. The plaintiff needs its own stake, a personal stake in the outcome. Uh, and if the plaintiff has no such stake, the court must stop in its tracks. Let's start again. That is what the court does to, uh, to decide this case is to exceed the permissible boundaries of the judicial role. This is what the court does today. The plaintiffs here are six states, Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, or Missouri. Nebraska, South Carolina, they oppose the secretary's loan cancellation on varied policy and legal grounds, but as everyone agrees, those objections are just general grievances. They do not show the particularized injury needed to bring suit, and the states have no straightforward way of making that showing or explaining how they are harmed by a plan that reduces individual borrowers federal student loan debt. So the states have thrown no fewer than four different theories of injury against the wall, hoping that a court anxious to get to the merits will say that one of them sticks. Spaghetti. The most they can say is that the theory of the majority selects proffered solely by Missouri is that it is less risible than the others. It still contravenes a bedrock principle of standing law that a plaintiff cannot ride on someone else's injury. Missouri is doing just that in relying on injuries by Mohella, a legally financially independent public corporation, and that means the court, by deciding this case, exercises authority it doesn't have. It violates the Constitution. Missouri's theory of standing as accepted by the majority goes as follows. Mohella is a state-created corporation participating in the student loan market. A part of that activity has, it has contracted with the Department of Education to service federally held loans, essentially to handle billing and collecting payments for the federal government under that contract. Mohella receives an administrative fee for each loan service. When a loan is canceled, Mohella will not get a fee, so the secretary's plan will cost Mohella money. If Mohella is harmed, Missouri must be harmed because the corporation is a public instrumentality and as such part of Missouri's government. <clears throat> Up to the last step, the theory is unacceptable, except that it points to Mahela as the proper plaintiff. 
Financial harm is a classic injury. In fact, Mahela plausibly alleges that it will suffer harm as a result of the secretary's plan. So Mahela can sue the secretary, as the government readily concedes. But not even Missouri and not even the majority claims that Mahela's revenue loss gets passed through to the state. So Missouri didn't even – wait – Missouri didn't even claim that Mahela's loss gets passed to the state. As further discussed below, Mahela is a financially independent from Missouri, as corporations typically are, uh, the better to insulate the creators from the financial loss. Uh, so Mahela's revenue declined. The injury, in fact, claimed to justify the suit is not, in fact, Missouri's. The state treasury will not be out one penny because of the secretary's plan. The revenue loss is allegedly grounded in this case as Mahela's alone, which leads to an obvious question. Where is Mahela? The answer is, as far from the suit as it can manage. Mahalo could have brought the suit. It possesses power under Missouri's law to sue and be sued, but, its own, but in its own name. Uh, but Mahalo is not a party here, nor is it an amicus, nor is it even a rooting bystander. Mahalo was not involved in the decision of the Missouri Attorney General's office to file the suit. A uh, letter from appellees in number whatever. Mahalo did not cooperate with the Attorney General's efforts. When the AG wanted documents relating to Mahalo's loan servicing contract to aid him in putting forward the state's Stating theory, he had to file a former Sunshine Law demands to the entity. Mohella had no interest in assisting voluntarily. If all that makes you suspect that Mohella is distinct from the state, you would be right. And that is, it is so as a matter of law and financing alike. Yes, Mohella is the creature of the state statute, a public instrumentality established to serve a public function. <laughs> but the law sets up Mohella as a corporation, a so-called body corporate with a separate legal personality. Or said a bit differently, Mahela is, like the lion's share of corporations, whether public or private, a separate legal entity with distinct legal rights and obligations from those belonging to its creator. Mohela, for example, has the power to contract with other entities, which is how it entered into a loan servicing contract with the Department of Education. Mohela's assets, including the fees gained from that contract, are not part of the revenue of the state and cannot be used for the payment of debt incurred by the state. On the other side of the ledger, Mohela's debts are Mahela's alone. Missouri cannot be liable for them. As noted for earlier, Mahela has the power to sue and be sued, independent of Missouri. So it cannot be prosecuted and defend it's all its varied interests. Indeed, before the case, Missouri has never tried to appear in court on Mahela's behalf. That's no surprise. In statutory scheme, independence is everywhere. State law created Mahela, but in doing so, it set it apart. Missouri Supreme Court itself recognized such as addressing the near-carbon copy state instrumentality, uh, Mohifa, Note the one-letter difference. Issues bonds to support various health and educational institutions in the state. Like Mohela, Mohifa is understood as a public instrumentality serving a public function. Menorah Medical Center versus Health Ed Facilities Authorization. And like Mohela, Mohifa has a board appointed by the governor. Uh, but state Supreme Court, when confronted with the matter, uh, let's see, claim that Mohifa's undertaking should be ascribed to the state could hardly be seen as more dismissive. This court thought it beyond dispute that Mohifa is not the state and its activities are not state activities. Citing Mohifa's financial and legal independence, the court explained that similar bodies have been adjudged as separate entities from Missouri. Mohila is no different under our usual standing rules. That separation would matter, indeed, would decide this case. A plaintiff this court has held in time again cannot rest his claim uh, to judicial relief on the legal rights and interests of third parties. And Mohila qualifies as such a party for all reasons just given. That Mohila is a publicly created makes it not a whit of difference what a government instrumentality is established as a jurisdictional entity and distinct and independent from its sovereign. The law, including the law of standing, is supposed to treat it that way. 
So this case should have been open and shut. Missouri and Mohala are legally and financially separate entities. Uh, Mohala is fully capable of representing its own interest and has always done so before. The injury to Mohala thus does not entitle Missouri under our normal standing rules to go to court. Those normal rules are no more than just rules. They are, as the case shows, guarantors of our constitutional order. The requirement that the proper party, the party actually affected, challenge in action ensures that the courts do not overstep their proper bounds. Um, Without that requirement, courts become forums of ventilation of public grievances for settlement of ideological and political disputes, the kind of forum this court has become today. Is there a person in America who thinks Missouri is here because it is worried about Mahila's loss of loan servicing fees? I would like to meet him. Missouri is here because it thinks the secretary's loan cancellation plan makes for terrible and inequitable wasteful policies, and so too for Arkansas, Iowa, Kansas, Nebraska, and South Carolina. And maybe all of them are right, but that question is not what this court sits to decide. The question is more appropriately addressed in the representative branches and by broader public. Our third-party standing rules, like the rest of our standing doctrine, exist to separate powers in that way or send political issues to political institutions and retain only legal controversies brought by plaintiffs who have suffered legal injury. If Mohila had brought the suit, we would have had to resolve it, however hot or divisive, but Missouri, in adjudicating Missouri's claim, the majority reaches out to decide a matter it has no business deciding. It blows through a constitutional guardrail intended to keep its courts acting like courts. The majority does not overextend itself in defending that action. It recites the state's assertion that harm to Mahila is harm to Missouri because the former is the latter's instrumentality. But in doing so, the majority barely addresses Mohila's separate corporate identity, its financial independence, and its distinct legal rights. In other words, the majority glides swiftly over all the attributes of Mohila, ensuring that its economic losses are not passed on to the state, and then it can, it can be rectified if there is legal wrong without the state's help. The majority is left to argue from a couple of prior decisions and a single idea that the latter relating to the state's decree to aid Missouri College students. But decisions do not stand for what the majority claims, and the idea collides with another core precept of standing law, all in all, the majority's justification is to turn standing law from a pillar of restrained judiciary into nothing more than a lawyer's game. Bam. Massachusetts versus EPA. Roberts dissenting. <laughs> so she cited Justice Roberts' dissent in her dissent to, to counter Justice Roberts' majority opinion. God damn. God damn I mean, that's cold. That is cold, right? I mean, unlike Justice Thomas's judicial masturbation, when he just cites his own dissent in his own defense, that was that's great. I mean, to cite the the author of the majority opinion's own dissent in her dissent to counteract the argument of the author of the majority opinion, that's brilliant. Wow. That's, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I like to read the dissents, probably even more so than I like to read the opinions. I mean, to read the opinions of the conservatives especially is great because, you know, especially when it's Alito, because you can see how horrible Alito writes. But to read the dissents of the bad rulings just show you how great the dissents can be. I mean... That's what they should call Ron DeSantis, Ron descend, Descending. Uh, the majority may relies on Arkansas v. Texas, but the case only shows not all, not all public instrumentalities are the same. The court here 
uh, said that Arkansas could bring suit on behalf of a state university, but it did so because the school lacked the financial and legal separateness that Mohaley has. Arkansas, we observe, owns all the property used by the university, and the suit, if successful, would have enhanced that property. Litigation sought to stop Texas from interfering with the contract to build a medical facility on campus. Uh, the state was the principal beneficiary. The majority suggests otherwise, stating that state court decision, blah, 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 blah. That's about Arkansas. Majority second case about LeBron Railroad. There's an issue where Amtrak, a public corporation, similar to Mahela, had to comply with the First Amendment. The court held that it did, labeling Amtrak a state actor for the purpose. On the opposite view, we re- reasoned that government could evade the most final obligations. Blah, 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 blah. Let's skip down here. Uh, so what LeBron tells us about Mahela is that it must comply with the Constitution. LeBron offers no support for the different view that Mahela and Missouri are interchangeable parties in litigation. Um, remaining is the majority's unsupported and un, un, insupportable idea that the Secretary's plan necessarily hurts Missouri because it impairs Mahela's effort to aid the state's college students. To begin with, it seems unlikely that the reduction in Mahila's revenues resulting from the discharge would make it harder for students to access student loans. As the majority contends, Mohila is not a lender. It services loans others have made, which is probably why Missouri has never tried to show that the Secretary's plan would do, will, will so detrimentally affect the state's borrowers. In any event, and even more important, such harm to citizens cannot pro- provide an escape hatch out of Mohila's legal and financial independence, that is because another canonical limit on the state's liability to ride on third parties. A state may never sue the federal government based on citizens' rights and interests. Or said more technically, a state does not have a standing as parens patriae to bring an action against the federal government. So Missouri cannot get standing by asserting that harm to Mahila will harm the state's citizens. Missouri needs to show that the harm to Mahila produces harm to the state itself. And because, as explained above, Mohila was set up as, a, as corporations typically are to insulate its creator from such derivative harm. Missouri is incapable of making that showing, see Super 6. The separateness, both financial and legal, between Mohila and Missouri makes Mohila alone the proper party. The author of today's opinion once wrote in the 19, that a 1970s-era standing decision became emblematic of how utterly manipulable this court standing law is, if not taken seriously as a matter of judicial self-restraint. Massachusetts. <laughs> Roberts dissenting again, citing Roberts's dissent again. Brilliant. After today, no one will have to go back 50 years for a classic case of the court manipulating standing doctrine rather than obeying the edict of St. Lane. The majority and I differ, as I'll soon address, on whether the executive branch exceeded its authority. Uh, but assuming the executive branch did so, that does not license the court to exceed its own role. Courts must still function as courts, this one no less than others, and in our system, that means refusing to decide cases that are not really cases because the plaintiffs have not suffered concrete injuries. The court ignores that principle in allowing Missouri to piggyback on the legal rights and interests of an independent party. Well, if Mohila wanted to do so, it could have brought the suit. It declined to do so under non-manipulable, serious version of standing of law. That would have been the end of the matter, regardless of how much Missouri or this court objects to the secretary's plan. All right. So I basically, when I, when I post my fat man rant, I will probably have to add a little bit to the end to basically talk about Kagan's dissent. And basically, according to Kagan's dissent, because Missouri and Mohila are two separate legal entities, the, the, the fact that Mohila is a corporation would shield Missouri from any potential loss because any harm done to Mohila would, 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 because it's a corporation, would shield Missouri from any potential loss, from harm, financial harm. Of course, one might argue that there's lots of revenue. But even then, 
the argument that was being made by the state of Missouri, and as such, the, the, the majority of the court still rests on the idea that the student loan borrowers of the working class still are responsible for paying the fees that go to Mohila and the state of Missouri. And as such, their legal argument is that, that the working class people should be paying the fees and them not paying the fees causes harm. So again, it's still an argument of entitlement that you're entitled to our money. You're entitled to our fees. And that's why it's bullshit. Majority finds no former ground when it reaches the merits. The statutes Congress enacted gives broad authority to deal with national emergencies. That authority kicks in only under exceptional circumstances. But when it kicks in, the secretary can take exceptional measures. Again, what I said, he can waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision applying student loan provision. Again, if they wanted him to be limited, Congress would have limited it. But Congress did not limit it. Congress said any. They didn't do and use any of the adverbs or adjectives or any other modifying words that would have modified the modifier, modify the word modify to make sure that any modifications were limited in scope. They did not use any modifying words to modify, modify, to limit scope. Therefore, they didn't limit scope. Therefore, the executive branch could use its discretion on determining how much modification and how much alteration and how much waiving it can do. At least that's what a textualist would say. But again, these people are only textualists when it's convenient. They aren't a textualist today. The majority picks the extra part piece by piece, an attempt to escape the meaning of the whole, but the whole is expensive delegation, so apparent that the majority has no choice but to justify its holding on extra statutory grounds. The majority resorts as it's becoming the norms. It's so-called major questions doctrine, and the majority again reveals the doctrine for what it is, a way for this court to negate broad delegations Congress has approved because they have a significant regulatory impact. Thus, the court once again substitutes itself for Congress and the executive branch and the hundreds of millions of people they represent in making the nation's most important well-contested policy decisions. Okay, again, more history. We can skip over the history. Uh, <laughs> Last condition said more simply requires the secretary to show that the relief he awards does not go beyond alleviating the economic effects of an emergency on effective borrower's ability to repay the loans. But if those conditions are met, the secretary's delegated authority is capacious, as is the prior statutes. The secretary has the link power to waive or modify any statutory regulatory provision. Any. Any. I guess Roberts believes that the word any is any means something else other than any. It depends on what the meaning of the... I'm sorry, I'm doing my definition of Trump. I'm doing... It depends on the meaning of what the word is, is... Um, any, <laughs> I guess, as I scroll down, any of the reference provision statutes means any of these provisions. Like, me and Kagan are just like this. Like, maybe we were separated. I, I can't say we're separated at birth. I'm, I'm, how old is Elena Kagan? How old is Justice? Okay. We were not separated at birth because she's 62 years old. So she is older than I. So I can't say we were separated at birth, but maybe she is a 
sister from another mister, so to speak. But like, I'm telling you, everything that I say, when I start saying words, I start saying words about an opinion that I have about this case, and then I go down and I read it later, and then Elena Kagan says later. How many times has that happened? Clinton talked about the word. I mean, that's what I, that's what I was citing, bringing a boy. I was citing that. It is depends what the meaning of the word is is and just it depends maybe i think that justice roberts maybe he was talking about what what the meaning of the word any means um or it's like if you go back to game of thrones of uh um if perpetuity what does perpetuity mean it means forever um again uh, as in the prior century secretary wave start with the phrase the word any has expansive meaning. Any other reference provision means, well, any of these provisions. And those provisions include several relating to student loan cancellation, more precisely specifying conditions in which the secretary can discharge loan principal. Now I'll go back to the twin verbs, may, wave or modify. To wa- If she brings up adverbs, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like, yes. If, again, if she brings up adverbs, I'm just going to, mark out and for to use the wrestling term because i brought up adverbs earlier like you know that that justice roberts was like bringing up adverbs like that don't exist there and like inserting adverbs that don't exist she brings up adverbs i'm going to just laugh with joy um okay so now go back to the twin verbs wave or modify to wave means to abandon renounce or surrender so here to eliminate a regulatory requirement or condition, Black's Law Dictionary, to modify means to make somewhat different or to reduce a degree extent. So here, to lessen rather than eliminate such a requirement. Then put the words together as they appear in the statute. To waive or modify a requirement means to lessen its effect uh, from the slightest adjustment up to eliminating it altogether. Of course, making such changes may leave gaps to fill. So the statute says what is anyway obvious that the Secretary's waiver modification power includes the ability to specify the terms and conditions to be applied in lieu of such modified or waived statutory regulatory provisions. Finally, each attach the waive or modify power to all of the provisions relating to loan cancellation. The secretary may amend all the way up to discarding those provisions and fill the holes that action creates with new terms designed to counteract the emergency's effect on powers. Again, powers, the emergency's effect. Not for all time, not making a new law, but the emergency's effect, just that temporary one-time thing. Before reviewing how the statutory scheme operated here, let's consider how it might work for a hypothetical emergency enacting Congress had in, in front of its mind. As noted above, the precursor to HEROES was a statute authorizing the Secretary to assist student loan borrowers affected by 9-11. Uh, HEROES Act, as Congress designed it, would give him the identical power to address similar terrorist attacks in the future. So imagine the horrific terrorist organization such as Dirty Bomb in Chicago, beyond causing deaths of the incident, leads to millions of residents to flee a city to escape the radiation. They must now find housing, new jobs, and student loan bills are coming due every month to prevent widespread loan delinquencies and defaults. The Secretary wants to discharge 10000 for the class of affected borrowers. Is that legal? Of course it is. It's exactly what Congress provided for. The statutory preconditions are met. The President has declared a national emergency. The President's Proposed relief against only to affected individuals. Secretary has deemed the action necessary to ensure that the attack does not place those borrowers in a worse position to repay those loans. And the statutory powers of waiver and modification give the secretary the means to offer the needed assistance. He can, for purposes of the special loan forgiveness program, 
scratch the pre-existing conditions for discharge and specify different conditions met by the affected borrowers. That is what the congressionally deleted delegated powers are for. If the secretary did not use them, Congress would, would be appalled. Yes. Here is that applies to COVID loan forgiveness program just the same way. Of course, Congress did not know COVID was coming and maybe it was, wasn't even thinking about pandemics generally, but that is immaterial because Congress delegated broadly for all national emergencies. It is true that the Secretary's use of HEROES Act delegation has proved politically controversial in a way that assistance to terrorism victims presumably would not. But again, the fact is relevant to the lawfulness of the program. If the hypothetical plan just discussed is legal, so too is the real one. Once more, the statutory preconditions have been met. The president declared, now the president declared the pandemic national emergency, not President Biden, mind you, President Trump. Declared COVID pandemic a national emergency. Eligible borrowers all fall within the law's definition of affected individuals. Uh, Secretary deemed relief necessary to ensure that the pandemic did not put low and middle income borrowers in a worse position to repay their loans. With those boxes checked, Secretary's waivers modification powers kicked in, and the Secretary used them as described as a hypothetical above for purposes of the COVID program. He scratched the conditions for loan discharge contained in several provisions. He then altered those provisions by specifying different conditions, which opened up loan forgiveness to more borrowers. So he waived and modified pre-existing law, and in doing so, applied the new terms and conditions in lieu of the old ones, as in prior hypothetical. Then he used the statutory emergency powers in the manner Congress designed. How does the majority avoid this conclusion? By picking the statute apart and addressing each segment of Congress's authorization as if it had nothing to do with the others. Again, Laws don't exist in a vacuum. As I said earlier, for the first several pages, really the heart of its analysis, the majority proceeds as though the statute contains only the word modify. It even eventually gets around to the word wave, but similarly spends most of its time treating the word alone. Only when that discussion is over does the majority inform the reader that the statute also contemplates the secretary's addition of the new terms and conditions. But once again, the majority treats authority in isolation and thus insignificant. Each aspect of the secretary's authority, waiver, modification, replacement is kept sealed in a vacuum-packed container, i.e., as I said, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. The way they disconnect and reinforce each other is generally ignored. The divide and conquer is the watchword. There, they cannot possibly emerge a fair construction of the whole argument. The majority fails to read the statutory authorization right because they fail to read it as a whole. Um, see Scalia. B. Gardner, reading law, the interpretation of legal text. I love that she quotes Scalia here in one of his books, uh, discussing the importance of whole text here, reeling the whole thing. Again, she's being a textualist. She is basically telling the people who are typically textualists that they need to be textualists. This is great. Uh, the majority cardinal error is reading modify as if it was the only word in statutory delegation taken alone. The court once stated the word connotes increments and means to change moderately or in a minor fashion. Um, but no sooner did the court say that much that it noted that importance of contextual indications, uh, see Scalia and Garner, context is a primary determinant of meaning. And in the Heroes Act, the dominant piece of context is that modify does not stand alone. It is one part of a couplet, wave or modify. The first verb is discussed above means eliminate usually the most substantial kind of change. He's super at 15, accord, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So the question becomes, would Congress have given the secretary the power to wholly eliminate a requirement as well as to relax it just a little bit, but nothing in between? The majority says yes, but the answer is no, because Congress would not have written so insane a law 
the phrase waive or modify and says to the secretary, feel free to get rid of a requirement or short of that to alter it to the extent that you think appropriate. Otherwise, the phrase extends from a minor change all the way up to major ones. Makes sense. Majority fares no better in claiming that the phrase waiver modify sometimes limits the secretary's ability to add to existing law. The majority's explanation of the idea oscillates a fair bit. At times, the majority tries to convey additions as a class somehow suspect. Blah, 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 blah. Um, filling empty space, blah, 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 new language, but it's mistaken. Change often involves necessitates replacement. So when the secretary uses his statutory power to remove some conditions on loan cancellation, he can, under that same power, replace them with others. The majority itself must ultimately concede that point. Uh, so it falls back on arguing that additions allowed cannot be substantial because the statute uses the word modify, uh, but that doubles down on majority's most basic error, extracting modify from wave or modify phrase in order to confine the secretary to making minor changes. Just as shown, the phrase as a whole says the opposite, tells the secretary that he can make changes along a spectrum from modest to substantial, so he can make additions along the same spectrum as well. Basically, my argument, instead of using the adverb argument, she's basically saying, Wave or modify goes from big to small. Fine. The same argument, different way of making it. She's smarter than me. Good for her. The <laughs> um, other language in the classroom makes uh, substitute, substitution authority perfectly clear. Under earlier, the statute prefers the terms and conditions to be applied in lieu of such, whatever, blah, blah, blah. In other words, the statute expects the se- secretary's waivers and modifications to involve replacing the usual provisions with different ones. Majority rejoins that in lieu of language as a wafer-thin read. Um, as again, I was like, what the hell, wafer-thin read? What does that mean? Um, because it appears in a humdrum reporting requirement, but the adjectives are far by the best part of the response. Oh, she said adjectives. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, wait. Um, so the secretary rely on that because it is a humdrum reporting requirement, but the adjectives are by far the best part of the response. It is perfectly true that the language instructs the secretary to include his, his new terms and conditions when he provides notice of waivers and modifications. That's because the statute contemplates there'll be new terms and conditions to report. In other words, the statute proceeds on the premise that the usual waiver modification will uh, add new substantive provisions. The humdrum reporting requirement thus confirms the expansive intent of the secretary's waiver modification authority. Fair enough. Um, the secretary emerges with no ability to respond to large-scale emergency. The majority's opposing construction makes the act inconsequential. The secretary emerges with no ability to respond to large-scale emergencies and commensurate raise. The creation of any novel and fundamentally different loan forgiveness program is off the table. So, for example, a secretary cannot cancel student loans held by victims of the hypothetical terrorist attack. That would, too, involve the introduction of a whole new regime by drafting new substantive conditions for discharging loans. And under the majority's analysis, new loan forbearance policies are seemingly out of bounds. When COVID struck, Secretary DeVos immediately suspended loan repayments and interest accrual for all federally held student loans. The majority claims it is not deciding whether that law, law action was lawful, which is all well and good, except that under the majority's reasoning, how could it not be? The suspension is too offered a significant new benefit and even greater number of borrowers. Indeed, many borrowers, it was worth much more than the current plan's $10,000 discharge. So suspension could no more meet the majority's pivotal definition of modify or make a minor change than could the forgiveness plan. On the majority's telling, the Congress thought that the event of a national emergency financially harming borrowers, blah, 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 blah. So basically, the DeVos thing probably benefited people more than the $10,000 things would and it affected more people. Um, 
but the, he can do nothing that would am, uh, ameliorate an emergency economic impact on student loan borrowers. That's not what Congress wrote. HEROES Act was designed to deal with national emergencies, typically major in scope, often unpredictable in nature. It gave the Secretary discretionary authority to relieve borrowers to the adverse effects in the many possible crises. Uh, skimming through this. However, broad meaning, waiver, modify, however, meaning however much power gave Secretary, the program is just too large, blah, 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 is what they're saying. Um, the telecoms is the last part of the majority's opinion. When the court is confident in its interpretation of the statute text, it spells out its reading and it hits the send button. Not this court, not today. This court needs a whole other chapter to explain why it is striking down the Secretary's plan. And that chapter is not about the state statute Congress passed and the President signed in their representation of many millions of citizens. Instead, expresses the court's own concerns over the exercise of administrative power. Congress may have wanted the secretary to have wide discretion during emergencies to offer relief to student loan borrowers. Congress, in fact, drafted a statute saying as much, and the secretary acted under that statute in a way that subjects the president he serves to political accountability and the judgment of voters. But none of that is enough. The court objects to Congress's permitting the secretary to answer so-called major questions, or at least it objects when the answers are given to the court's satisfaction, so the court puts its own heavyweight thumb on the scales. It insists that Congress's delegation to the secretary will not allow him to use the general authority to resolve important issues. The majority stance, as I explained in the last term, prevents Congress from doing any policy-making job the way it thinks best. The new major questions doctrine works out not better to understand, but instead to trump the scope of legislative delegation. Here, the fact of the matter, Congress delegates agencies often and broadly, and it usually does so for sound reasons. Because agencies have expertise Congress lacks, because times and circumstances change and agencies are better able to keep up and respond because Congress knows that if it had to do everything, many desirable and even necessary things wouldn't get done in wielding the major question sword. Uh, last term in this one, Cong the court overrules those legislative judgments. The doctrine forces Congress to delegate highly specific terms respecting, say, loan forgiveness of certain amounts for borrowers of certain incomes during pandemics. Of course, Congress sometimes delegates that way, but all often not because Congress authorizes loan forgiveness and what of loan forbearance and one of the other 10 or 20 or 50 knowable or unknowable things the secretary could do and should be measures taken what other forgiveness or forbearance or anything else always be the same size or do the same classes of people does it depend so basically asking what else would they be, have to do and this is a major problem not just for governance but for democracy too Congress is of course a democratic institution it responds even if imperfectly to the preferences of American voters and agency officials um, serve a president with the broadest of all possible constituencies, but the court, it is by design detached as possible. That is why the court is supposed to stick to its business and decide only cases and controversies and to stay away from making this nation policies and support about subjects like student loan relief. When this happens, the court becomes the arbiter, indeed the maker of national policy. Oh, Kagan dissenting. So here we have another, a case of Kagan doing some judicial masturbation. There we go. We found Kagan uh, referencing herself, her own dissent in her own dissent. So here's one act of Kagan doing judicial masturbation. See, hold on. Looking at Scotus Overall Congress with making a new def definition of altering debt. That's right, Agoff. Hey, Agoff, what's going on? I didn't see you come in. It's too busy look, being a nerd about this stuff. How much time we got left on Blog Talk Radio? 14 minutes. 
So Blog Talk Radio, if anybody's listening on Blog Talk Radio, you're probably going to miss out on the discussion that I'm going to have over the, the maybe briefly over the ruling over the website person because, you know, that was stupid too. And I do want to hit that, um, but we're going to finish up Kagan, try and get Kagan quickly done before I go look at the other thing first. But uh, let's see. Did it justify these heightened specific requirements of Georgia laws and history? Past waivers and modifications. Hold on, wait, wait, wait. Let's go back a second. The majority, therefore, is wrong to say the indi- indicators from our previous major question cases are. Let's go. Today's decision just moves the goalpost for triggering the major questions doctrine. Who knows? By next year, Secretary of Health and Human Services may be found unable to implement Medicare program under broad delegation because his actions and economic impact to justify this use of heightened specificity requirements. Majority relies on history. Past waivers and modifications, the majority argues, have been extremely modest, but first it depends on what you think is past. One prior action nowhere counted by the majority is the suspension of loan payments and interest accrual begun in COVID's first days. That action cost the federal government over $100 billion and benefited many more borrowers and forgiveness. Second, it's all relative. Past actions were more modest because the precipitating emergencies were more modest. Again, something else I said. Uh, past, let's see, all told $5 trillion in government relief spending and more in providing more significant relief for more significant emergency or call it unprecedented relief for unprecedented emergency. The secretary did what heroes act contemplates. Imagine asking and the enacting Congress, uh, can secretary use his powers to give borrowers more relief when an emergency has inflicted greater harm. I can't believe the majority really thinks Congress would have answered. No, in any event, the statute of Congress passed does, does not say no. Delegations like the HEROES Act are designed to enable agencies to adapt their rules and policies to the demands of changing circumstances. Congress allows and indeed expects agencies to take more serious measures in response to serious problems. Yes. From the first page of the last today's opinion departs from the demands of judicial restraint. Uh, at the behest of a party that has suffered no injury, the majority decides a contested public policy issue properly belonging to the politically accountable branches to the people they represent in saying so and saying so strongly. I do not at all disparage those who disagree. The majority is right to make that point, as well as to say that reasonable minds are found on both sides of this case. And there is surely nothing personal in dispute here. <laughs> There's nothing personal in dispute. I'm just going to use your own defense against you. <laughs> The majority opinions begin by distorting a standing doctrine to create a case fit for judicial resolution. Uh, the Secretary's plan has not injured the plaintiff states, however much they oppose it. And in the respect, Missouri has no different from any others. Missouri does not suffer any harm from a revenue loss in Mohila because the two entities are legally and financially dependent. Mohila has chosen not to sue, which, of course, it could have. So no proper parties before the court. The court acting like a court would have said much and stopped. The opinion ends. Uh, but the court made up major questions doctrine. So in a case, not a case, the majority overrides the combined judgment of the legislative and executive branches with the consequence of eliminating the loan forgiveness of 43 American opinions. I respectfully dissent from that decision. So there you go. There you have it. That is the ruling and the dissent. And again, for anybody who joined in late um, a bit ago, let me stop this recording part. I had a... Uh, I'm gonna to have to find which one it was. I should have I should have made sure to mark which one it was because I had several recordings. Um, I had a good decent sized rant. So after this video is over, I'm gonna go take that thing and edit it a bit, and then put a little bit at the beginning, put a little bit at the end, 
and I'm going to upload a new Fat Man rant that will be live tomorrow morning because I usually like my new videos to become live in the morning because I think they get more views that way. Um, because as Vincent Owens can say, uh, can, can basically uh, uh, affirm and other people who were still in the chat at that time, um, I got very heated over the argument that was made on, I think, page 13 of, of the ruling. I think that was it. Yeah, page 13 of the ruling. Uh, basically, um, over the justification of why Missouri was allowed to have standing. And nobody in the news agencies that I heard of, at least, discussed how they were able to establish standing and the hypocrisy on the part of Republicans and the hypocrisy on the part of... And look, you're still watching. You got 13 viewers right now. It's fine. If you're still watching this thing, I, w I would ask you to share this as much as you can because nobody talked about this shit yesterday. yesterday. And I'm, I've been cursing a bit because it pissed me the fuck off. Because basically the, Repub the, the, the court basically said, and the Republicans, the Missourians were basically saying that the harm that they received was basically because Missouri would not be able to get fees from people paying money. It's bullshit. Only one representative voted against the Heroes Act of 2003. Let me guess. Was it a Paul? Was Rand Paul in there one time? Was it Ron Paul? Ron Paul was in Congress. I bet you it was Ron Paul. I didn't look it up. My guess is it's Ron Paul who voted against it. Am I right? That's my guess. Let me look it up. Heroes Act of 2003 votes. Uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? One roll call vote. House roll call vote. Where is the votes? Uh, I'm not finding it on the thing. Actions. Is it under actions? Roll call number 96. Uh, no. Oh, it was George Miller of California, Democrat, voted nay. Uh, huh? Paul voted yes. Look at that. All right. I was wrong. Happens once or twice. <laughs> How much time we got left on Blog Talk Radio? Six minutes remaining on Blog Talk Radio. All right, whatever. So, all right, let's see. Let's look up. Um, uh, Supreme Court rules web designer. Let's find the ruling. Do, 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 do.
303 Creative LLC versus Alice Alenis. There it is. All right. Let's go back to this one. Three hundred three Creative LLC. Lori Smith wants to expand her graphic design business. Three hundred three Creative LLC to include services for couples seeking wedding websites. Okay, so here's the thing. Remember all the things about having to prove harm. Now let's go back to the thing. Let's go back to the first two two arguments. First, first, first case. Department of Education versus Brown et al. The two people whose case was thrown out because they didn't have standing. First person had a privately held loan, so he didn't qualify. Second person had a Department of Ed held loan, federally held loan, but didn't have a Pell Grant, so therefore only qualified for 10 grand and not 20 grand, even though his income was lesser than other people who, like he probably made less money than I do, and he was only getting 10 grand. He would have only got, he would have only gotten 10 grand forgiven when I would have had 20 grand forgiven. I would have argued that they had more harm than these states because these states had no harm whatsoever i would argue that they could make an argument they had more harm because they could at least point to a at least other people were getting help and they weren't these states were having no especially you know even if you want to count missouri is missouri's bs as harm the other states had no harm missouri is hanging their hat on an invisible hanger so it should have fallen off and not have anything either but no harm, no harm. So here, 303 Creative LLC. I don't know what this is doing. Oh, I just opened it, I opened up a new tab. Okay, so here we go. So Lori Smith wants to expand her graphic design business to include services for couples seeking wedding websites. She wants to. She has never created a wedding website yet. Nobody has asked her to create a wedding website yet. She has never been asked to make a wedding website yet for a couple who was of the same sex. She has never declined the request to make somebody a website of the same, for, for a couple of the same sex or the same gender. nor has she been sued because she has denied somebody of a couple of the same sex for denying them the ability to, to, to produce a website for them because they're married couple of the same sex. Nor has the state then said, you are punished and fined because you refuse to provide a website for a married couple or a wedding website for a couple getting married of the same gender. So how was she able to prove harm and therefore get this in front of the Supreme Court? Like, It's mind again. I'll go back to what I say before. 
I will go back to what I've said before on standing. In my world, I do believe, well, okay, let's just, we'll just, let's just dilly-dally for 90 seconds. We're, we're going to, we're going to just BS. Let's, let's go over the chat for 90 seconds because I was actually going to record the start of this, but I don't want the, I don't want the chat of this to be able to hear the blog talk radio BS while I'm recording my discussion of, of 303 Creative LSD. So apologies to the people still watching in chat, but I don't want to have to hear that whilst we're doing that. So if you just hold on a second, we're going to wait for the uh, blog talk radio timer to finish. And then we're probably going to start over on the 303 creative website. So um, yeah, she wants to put a sign on her. Well, it's not even a sign on her door. I don't know if she even has a, I don't know if she even has a brick and mortar place. She might even just have a website. She might even want to put a little banner on her website, you know, you know, no, no, uh, no gays allowed or no gay marriages allowed or what have you or whatever. But it's, it's bizarre. But as soon as blog talk radio hits zero, 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 got 13 seconds left. I can still play my 10 seconds. We can still, we can still do the outro music as I determined the other day. Um, but once we get to zero, I will go ahead and um, I will go ahead and oh, there you go. It beeped. So the show is, is technically over on blog talk radio but now we'll go ahead and start recording it and we'll start we'll start the thing over again so on the 303 creative versus lns at all uh you had Lori smith now on the other cases that we talked about tonight you know we talked about standing and how you know the two people who brought the cases about their student loans they didn't have standing but for some reason the states had standing even though there was no way to States had harm, it could prove harm, but I, I don't know that somehow, you know, my rant from earlier showed, you know, discussed how Missouri was able to get harm. But Lori Smith uh, has her graphic design business, 303 Creative, right? Now, th this is how the, the document starts for the ruling for this case. She wants to expand her graphic design business. 303 Creative to include services for couples seeking wedding websites. Now, she had, she wants to do this. So by reading this first sentence, she's never made a wedding website for anybody, seems like. She's never been asked to make a wedding website by a, a, wed a wedding website for a gay couple. She's never denied a gay couple uh, who asked her as such to, to, to make a web, wedding website. She's never been sued by a gay couple for denying them under Colorado law uh, for making a web website for a gay, a wedding website for a gay couple. And she's never been punished by the state of Colorado for denying a gay couple making a, a gay website. Right? So, if none of this has ever happened, how on earth did she get the ability to have standing to bring a court, to bring a case to the Supreme Court? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 
if as Kagan said in the dissent in the previous case we were discussing, the court's supposed to be a court and not a place to just discuss political issues, how on earth did she was she able to claim any sort of harm whatsoever? Miss Smith worries that Colorado will use the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act to compel her, in violation of the First Amendment, to create websites celebrating marriages that she does not endorse. Well, there is a simple answer and a solution to this. Don't make wedding websites. Find other websites to make. If you're so worried about it, then why do you have to make wedding websites? You could make other websites. There's plenty of other websites that you could make. If you don't want to be burdened by this, by this purpose, that, that you don't want to make websites for marriages that you don't agree with, then you can just not make wedding websites. <coughs> oh, but why should we be prevented from making wedding websites? Well, I mean, it's a simple way around this prohibition that, that you feel might be placed upon you. But you've not been harmed yet. So how did she get in the door? How the hell did she get her foot in the door? To clarify her rights, Ms. Smith filed a lawsuit seeking an injunction to prevent the state from forcing her to create websites celebrating marriages that defy her belief that marriage should be reserved to unions between one man and one woman. <coughs> so... So she actively went out and sued the state and was like, I want to be a bigot. So I want to make sure that when I make this business, that I can have this business and and I'm I'm only going to be able to serve the people that I want to serve for this business. I want to make wedding, I'm going to make a wedding website business, and this wedding website business, I'm only going to serve the straight. They go through their Clan Clarenhood wedding websites. <laughs> Clan Clarenhood nuptials, like nuptials, but start that with a K too. Kata prohibits all public accommodations from denying the full and equal enjoyment of goods and services to any customer based on his race, creed, disability, sexual orientation, or the statutory enumerated trait. The law defines public accommodation broadly to include almost any public-facing business in the state. Either state officials or public citizens may bring actions to enforce the law, and a variety of penalties can follow any violations. Before the district court, Ms. Smith and the state stipulated to a number of facts. Ms. Smith is willing to work with all people regardless of classifications such as race, creed, sexual orientation, and gender, and will gladly create custom graphics and websites for clients of any sexual orientation. She will not produce content that contradicts biblical truth regardless of who orders it. Ms. Smith believes that marriage is the union between one man and one woman and is a sincerely held conviction. I mean, so if, so if, it's, if it's her sincerely held conviction that the world is flat and I want to make a I want to make a, 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 a something around the world. She can then say no, I guess. I don't know. Um, Mrs. Ms. Smith provides services that are expressive and her original customized creations contribute to her overall message. Her business conveys through her websites. It's cr- it creates the wedding websites she plans to create will be expressive in nature. I mean, aren't the websites that are created for people their expressions? I mean... 
Like when I have a website, when I'm making a website, when I want to, if I want somebody to make a website for me, you're making a website for me, for my expression, right? Like I'm paying you to make something to express something for me, not to express something for you. I mean, yeah, if I want some piece of artwork, yeah, that's maybe different. Um, they'll be customized and tailored through close collaborations with individual couples and will express Miss Smithson 303's creative messages. You have met. So probably what happened is this person probably hooked up with like Focus on the Family or some other, you know, whatever, whatever, like, you know, mom's militia, mom militia group, whatever, that's hooked up with the, you know, Proud Boys or whatever. And that's my theory or whatever that she, you know, hooked up with these people and whatever, you know, shadowy groups that are behind all these lawsuits and was like, hey, why don't you do this? Why don't you, why, why don't you, hey, you're a web designer and you're a conservative. Why don't you, why don't you state that you're going to make wedding websites? And when, when you make your wedding websites, you know, and then you're going to make wedding, and we'll pay for your lawsuits. <coughs> so we can use you as a vehicle to, to make sure that, you know, we can toss these rules. Ultimately, the district court held that Ms. Smith was not entitled to the injunction she sought, and the Tenth Circuit affirmed. Held, the First Amendment prohibits Colorado from, from forcing the website designer to create expressive design speaking messages, which the designer disagrees. Um, so that's how she got, so she forced the state to make it, to make a ruling against her. She sued the state preemptively and then got, like, to me it's like, I'm going to take your hand and hit myself with it and then sue, and then press charges against you for assault. Like, that's to me what this is. Like, oh, no, you hit me. Stop hitting me. Why are you hitting me? Or I'm jumping in front of your car. Oh, no, you hit me with a car, you bastard. Now I'm going to sue you. Like, you, I, it's like, I'm, I, you caused the harm yourself. You caused your own harm. You should not be able to sue because you caused the harm yourself. It's absurd. Court has previously faced cases where governments have sought to test these, blah, 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 blah. But this is not a case where the government have sought to test these foundational principles. This isn't a case where the government sought to do anything. This is a case where a private citizen sought to test the principles by forcing the government's hand by suing the government. She manufactured a situation by, with self-harm. She caused the harm herself. You should have, if, if, if you can't, if, if, if you can't bring a case, if you can't prove the harm done to you by somebody else, you shouldn't be able to bring the case if you were the one that caused the harm yourself. I mean, I don't even think I have to read the opinion of the court. So, of course, Gorsuch delivered the opinion, agreed to with Roberts and Thomas and Alito and Kavanaugh and Barrett, and then Sotomayor filed a dissenting with Kagan and Jackson joining. Shocker of all shockers. Um, like many states, Colorado has a law, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Lori Smith, let's, see, let's, let's just first see... Um, while Ms. Smith has laid the groundwork for a new venture, she has yet to carry out her plan. She worries that if she does so, Colorado will force her to express her views in which she disagrees. Well, she should be 
then forced. She should have to wait till they do so in order for her, like, if who knows? She could have said, I'm going to make a, a, a Christian, Christian website or faith-based websites or whatever to, to make traditional, traditional websites for traditional marriages or whatever and advertise yourself that way and scare the people away. Or maybe just for even for maybe maybe entice entice people to come ask you, and then get sued, and then go to court that way, and then force the state to sue you, and then fine you, and then you get to claim your harm and come to court, and then maybe you have a legal standing to sue because then you're having a fine pushed against you, and then maybe you have a basis to sue, and then you could discuss the merits of your case. But what merits? You don't have any merits here. There's no merit here. Because you... You caused the harm yourself. That's what she sought an injunction in federal court uh, to stop the state from forcing her to create websites. Let's see, in that course, she began by directing the court to the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act. That law defines uh, a public accommodation broadly, blah, 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 blah. In her lawsuit, she alleged that if she enters the wedding, if, if she enters the wedding website business, if she enters the business, she would have to do blah, 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 blah. So she hasn't even, even decided at that point to enter the wedding website. But if she does so, she would have to do this, that, the other. Like, but so she hasn't entered. So, again... It's hypothetical that she would enter the wedding website business at that time. So the district court ruled against her, and so did the Tenth Circuit. Tenth Circuit held that Tenth Circuit held that she had the standing to sue. Why I don't know. In that court's judgment, she had to establish a credible threat that if she follows through. But again, if she follows through, but she hadn't followed through yet. So how does she have standing? Tenth Circuit says she doesn't have an entitled to the injunction because uh, she she uh, she the court acknowledged that her planned wedding websites qualify as pure speech. As a result, the court reasoned the Colorado had to satisfy strict scrutiny under the standard. The court continued the state has to show that both forcing her to create speech would serve as a compelling governmental interest. Ultimately, a divided panel concluded that the state had carried those burdens. Blah blah blah. The framers designed the free speech clause to protect freedom think as you will and speak as you think. Sure, yes, um, but again, how does again? I'm question, I'm still questioning standing. But let's let's search this for standing first. Let's let's do a search on standing. Uh, so there's that one first mention of standing. Standing, uh, notwithstanding. Uh, standing, notwithstanding, 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 understanding. So not too much comment. So again, I don't understand. I don't understand the standing argument. I don't understand how they made the standing argument. I, I don't see how she was able to get, get this court and get this under the court in the first place. It's just BS that she was able to claim standing and create her own harm. Again, grabbing somebody else's fist and punching yourself in the face with it and saying, why are you hurting me is not is not claiming is not creating harm you have to you should be able to show harm before claiming harm 
see, before uh, before us, Colorado appears to distance itself from the Tenth Circuit's reasoning. Now the state seems to acknowledge the First Amendment does, does forbid it from coercing Ms. Smith to create websites endorsing same-sex marriage or expressing any other message which she disagrees. Um, let's see. It said Colorado devotes most of its efforts to advancing alternative theory for affirmance. State's alternative theory runs this way to comply with Colorado's law. The state says all Ms. Smith must do is repurpose websites she will create to celebrate marriages she does not. She does endorse her marriages she does not. She sells the product to some states' reasons, so she must sell the same product to all. Uh, bottom, Colorado State rests on the belief that the Tenth Circuit erred on the outset when it said the case implicates free speech. Instead, Colorado says the case only involves the sale of an ordinary commercial product. Any burden on Mrs. Smith's speech is only purely incidental on the state's telling that speech is more or less vanishes from the picture and, and with it any need for First Amendment scrutiny. Uh, the alternative theory, however, is that difficult to square with the party stipulations. As we've seen, the state has stipulated that Ms. Smith does not seek to sell an ordinary commercial good, but intends to create a customized and tailored speech. Of course, the state emphasizes Ms. Smith offers her speech for pay and does 2303 a company which she is the sole member owner of. Um, Colorado next urges us to focus on the reason Ms. Smith refuses to offer speech is, is seeks to compel. She refuses the states insist because she objects to the protected characteristics of certain customers. So this is the thing. Um, we can get into all this, and I'm sure a lot of the, a lot of the people discussing this case on TV did discuss a lot of, lot of the merits of or, or the lack thereof of this case. Because um, then it says what it really means. Once Ms. Smith offers some speech, Colorado would require her to create and sell speech, notwithstanding her sincere objection to do so, and the dissent would force her to comply with that demand. Even if she does, however, the Senate refuses to acknowledge where the reasoning leads in a world like that. Judge highlighted governments would force an unwilling Muslim movie director to make a film with a Zionist message. Oh, jeez. I mean, this is just a, a, a slippery slope fallacy. I mean, do conservatives, just all conservatives, one of the main things that conservative has are fallacies, either appeals to tradition, slippery slope. I mean, no. <clears throat> you can't force somebody to make a movie just because you're telling somebody you have to be open for business. You want your business to offer a product, right? But you're going to say you're only going to offer that product to certain people. No. Let's, let's go to the... Let's go to the dissent, because I think the dissent here is going to be more important. Uh, five years, the court recognized the general rule that religious and philosophical objections to gay marriage do not allow business owners and other actors uh, to deny protected persons equal access to goods and services under neutral and generally applicable public accommodations. The court also recognized the serious stigma that would result if purveyors of goods and services who object to gay marriage for moral and religious reasons were allowed to put up signs saying no goods or services will be sold if they're used for gay marriages. Today, the court for the first time in its history, grants a business open to the public a constitutional right to refuse to serve members of a protected class. Specifically, the court holds the First Amendment exempts the website design company from a state law that prohibits the company from denying wedding websites to the same-sex couples if the company chooses to sell those websites to the public. The court also holds that the company has the right to post a notice that says no wedding websites were sold if they were used for gay marriages. And that's the problem here. And, and the fallacy that's being made here by the people that are defending this ruling is that you have a situation where, you know, they're saying, oh, well, she'll, she says she'll have gay customers. She just won't make them websites for messages that she disagrees with. Like, for example, like she won't make it like if, if, she, if someone were to go to, her, go to her and say, 
I want to make a website that supports abortion rights. Clearly, that's, she could say no to that because that clearly would be a violation of her First Amendment rights. Clearly, that would be a violation of her rights as, as, a, as a citizen, uh, as a Christian, as somebody who's probably pro-life. Fine. No one would be able to force her to do that. But that's not going against any particular protected class, right? Because there's no protected class like that. You know, but you're, you're starting a new business, so to speak. You're starting a product line, right? So you're specifically creating a product line of wedding websites. So you haven't sold wedding websites before. But now you're starting to make a specific product line of wedding websites. And this product line of wedding websites is going to only be available for straight people. That's basically, to, to put it into a brick and mortar concept, Benny Loco, why aren't we the people suing any of these monsters? Well, because the Supreme Court would probably say that we lack the standing to do so. Because, as they would say in Friends. To put it in like brick and mortar terms, what if I were to, like if I were to say, okay, I'm going to create, I'm going to create a, a wedding chapel. That's not a church, but I'm going to open up a wedding chapel. Or I'm going to open up a, I'm going to open up an, uh, I'm going to have an event facility or whatever. Let's say I'm going to have a, a facility. Let's say I have some publicly open facility. And, I, and, and I'm going to open this facility up. I have this facility that's open for all sorts of events. And all of these events take place at this facility, right? All right, let's, 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 let's start a new recording. Let's say... In, in terms of this 303 Creative LLC versus LNS, and, and the idea that this is protected speech. All right. Let's say I have a facility, right? It's not a religious facility. It's not a church or synagogue or anything. Let's just say I have a facility that I use for various events. Like maybe I use it for like an assembly or something, or maybe there's like, I might use it for, um, you know, maybe, maybe I invite schools there to hold events and maybe I um, have other people show up there for, you know, speeches or like, like, let's say, let's say maybe it's like a small arena or something, or maybe, maybe some sporting events happen there. Maybe it's like a small, like maybe, maybe I can put up a basketball court or something there and maybe some people play basketball there from time to time or or maybe some other, other types of events can happen there, right? So maybe all those types of events can happen, in those, and it's publicly accessible. Anybody who wants to play their crew, they can play a fee. It's, it's, it's publicly accessible, but you have to pay a fee if you want to come there. If you want to come there, and I can, I can modify whatever it is that, you know, you know maybe, maybe, you know, you can come there, you can have a, a banquet if you want. You know, you, maybe you could have a, you know, you know, maybe maybe somebody you know holds a dinner there one day. Maybe you know you have a, a a corporate event there one day. Maybe maybe lots of corporations come and have you know hold their hold dinners there and hold you know meetings there, or hold their annual parties there. 
the holiday parties, the Fourth of July parties, etc. So we have all of those things going on at that venue that I have opened for general purpose things, right? Now, let's say at this general purpose venue that I've opened, right? Let's say I now decide I want to now get into the business of hosting weddings there, okay? Now, I want to host weddings there. I I think it will be profitable for me to host weddings at my venue. And I think it will be a good business decision for me to do so. And And I think it will be great for me to host weddings there. However, I'm, let's say I'm like this person in this, in this lawsuit. And I say, well, I'm going to host weddings here, but I'm not, I don't want to do gay marriages here. I only want to do heterosexual weddings at this venue. If, you, if you're going to have a gay marriage here, it's not going to be allowed. I only want to do straight weddings here. And it's my, it should be my First Amendment right to allow me to only host straight weddings here. Not gay weddings here but straight weddings here, right? Now, you could say, well, that's, you're a bigot, Dan. And, and well, I want to say, no, it's my, it's, my, it's my firmly held religious belief that only straight marriage is correct. Now, it's obviously, it's not mine. I believe in equal marriage. But in the hypothetical situation, I am a bigot. And in the situation, I would say, well, look, I'm not saying that gay people can't have events at my, at my, at my venue. You know, if you're have a business and you have and you and you want to hold an event at my venue, you know, you're more than welcome to do so. You know, that I'm sure there are people who are gay who have been in my other venues before. You're not, you're not barred from entering my venue. If you're gay, I'm not, I don't have a venue that says, I don't have a sign on my venue that says no gays allowed. You know, if, if you if your business comes in and you have a, you know, let's say a company comes in and your company has a lot of gay people that work for you, you know, you're more than welcome to come in and have, to have, have your business there, have your meeting there, have a sporting event there or whatever, play your basketball or whatever, whatever event you're having at a venue. You're more than welcome to have it there. You just can't have your gay, you just can't have your gay marriage there because that's my firmly held religious belief, right? That's the same type of argument that this website creator is making. Would that hold water too? Because that's basically what she's saying, that I could, I could create, I could open up some sort of facility and I could say, I could say okay, we're going to have all sorts of events here. And I could say, okay, well, I'm going to start having weddings here, but I could prohibit gay weddings here. I could have straight weddings here. I could say only straight weddings here. And then what else? What else What else to have a firmly held religious belief. One of my firmly held religious belief was only white weddings here, no interracial marriages here, no interfaith weddings here, only, only same faith weddings here. It's not, and it's not a church. I'm telling you, it's not a church. It's just a, a, a venue. But I own the venue, and I have these firmly held religious beliefs. According to the arguments made by the Supreme Court, I would then be legally entitled by the First Amendment to be able to assert the fact that my firmly held religious beliefs allow me to bar 
gay people from having weddings at my venue. And that's how it starts. Right here. That's how this starts. That's why this ruling opens the door. And you want to make the slippery slope argument to how, you know, by by going with the dissent, you're going to force a, a Muslim movie maker to make a Zionist movie? That's BS. But you want to, you want to make a, a real slippery slope argument? That's a more apt analogy because somebody could do that. And that's more, that's not even a slippery slope. That's a more apt analogy. That's a real life situation that's, that's more equal to what this person is doing. Except instead of being online, it's an in-person thing. What's the difference? To me, there would be no difference. And then it could expand from there. We allow too many things in this country to go on because of sincerely held religious beliefs. Sincerely held religious beliefs should not be allowed to discriminate. Period. And the story. You should not be allowed to be a bigot because of sincerely held religious beliefs. Do it on your own time. Do it on your own schedule. If you want to, if you want to be a bigot in private, fine. Be a bigot in private. You don't want to do. You don't want to. You don't want to. You want to have a venue that has that doesn't that only provide. That if you want to have a venue that doesn't want to be forced to have gay weddings, don't have a wedding venue at all. If you want to do a. If you, want to be, if, you want, if you don't want to be forced to make wedding websites for gay couples, don't make wedding websites at all. That's the easiest solution, right? We did, made the same mistake with the Hobby Lobby ruling, with the whole birth control thing. The sincerely held religious belief that the birth control pills cause abortion when they don't. They don't even do that. There's no scientific evidence that birth control pills do what their sincerely held religious beliefs think they do, yet the court allowed it to go through because it was a sincerely held religious belief. But there's no evidence that it does what it does. So we allowed them, like, I believe that the sky is, you know, chartreuse and orange and gray and yellow and all sorts of different colors. I, be, I believe that unicorns and pigs fly in the sky, and that's my sincerely held religious belief. And they tell me that everybody should have to give me $10 million and subscribe to Liberal Dan Radio on YouTube. And if you don't do that, it's a violation of my sincerely held religious beliefs, and you're violating it if you don't do so. It's ridiculous. So now, this... This whole idea is absolutely bizarre. And the idea that she could get away with this rule, that this ruling was, came down in her favor. Because she, she was able to, again, she caused the harm to herself. She, she again, grabbed somebody else's fist and punched herself in the face proverbially. Stop hitting me. Stop hitting me. She brought, she, she, again, she hadn't even started making websites. If she wanted to start making websites, she was afraid that she might be forced to do something if she was asked to do it. She shouldn't have had standing to bring anything. 
it was a hypothetical situation that she got to sue over anyway. But at the end of the day, it's a ridiculous decision that will lead to more discrimination being supported by this court. And that's what these hyper-conservative white supremacist groups, hyper-conservative white supremacist ultra-Christian MAGA-type groups want. They're using the courts to manipulate the legal system to get what they couldn't get via elections. And it's going to harm minorities. It's going to harm LGBTQ folks. It's going to harm other oppressed people because they were able to pack the Supreme Court all because of Hillary Clinton's emails. And who are to blame? All the people that whined about Hillary Clinton's emails and who were mad that Hillary Clinton was the nominee and went and ran to vote for Trump instead. What about her emails? What about them? We got three Supreme Court justices because y'all were too mad that Hillary Clinton got the nomination. And y'all let Donald Trump become president. And because of that, Donald Trump got to replace Scalia. He got to replace Kennedy under terms. And then he got to replace notorious RBG. And now the landscape of our judicial system has been fundamentally altered for years. And fundamental rights that have been protected for years in this country are crumbling And what are we going to do about it? What can we do about it? Well, I don't know. All these rulings are coming down, legalizing discrimination. We have a Supreme Court that's more than happy to to enact Gilead at this point. Under his eye, I guess. Get used to saying it. Because more more legalized discrimination is going to be coming down from this activist conservative Supreme Court. Anyway, that's it for this video. Although that's not it for this live stream. I just stopped the recording. I I was recording that bit for, I might edit it a little bit later. It might be a little bit too long, but I edited a little bit just for the fact I'm not stopping the video yet, but I wanted to make sure to get that part done because it was running a little bit long. Um, Let's see. You can also, based on current protections, say religions. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. Egoff, did you make that point before or after I made the point about the, the, the venue prohibiting interracial marriages from happening as well? So, I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't see that point that you made, but I basically thought the same thing. So, if you made it beforehand, I didn't see it, and brilliant minds think alike. So, there you go. Um, Sotomayor, public condemnation laws guarantee everybody gets to see it. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Disabilities Act prohibits discrimination uh, accommodations based on race, color, religion, national disability. All but five states have analogous laws. People of Colorado have adopted the law, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this revision is known as Act's Accommodations Clause. In addition, CATA contains what is called the Communications Clause, blah, blah, blah. Public, let's see, so we're getting into the history of CATA. Um, to illustrate this, 
Imagine a funeral home in rural Mississippi agrees to transport and cremate the body of an elderly man who passed away and host a memorial launch. Upon learning the man's surviving spouse is also a man, however, the funeral home refuses to deal with the family. Grief-stricken and now isolated and humiliated, the family desperately searches for another funeral home that will take the body. They eventually find another one more than 70 miles away. Um, officers of another preventing unique evils caused by acts of... In, 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 hold on, let's, let's scroll back. Public contamination law ensures equal dignity in common market. Indeed, what if the law's fundamental objective vindicates the deprivation of personal dignity to ensure that it accompanies denials of equal access to public establishments? This purpose does not depend on whether goods or services are otherwise available. Discrimination is not just simply dollars and cents, hamburgers and movies. It's humiliation, frustration, embarrassment that a person must deal with when told that he is unacceptable as a member of the public because of his social identity. It is equally an inability to explain to a child that regardless of education, stability, courtesy, and morality that he would be denied the right to enjoy equal treatment. Uh, Ginsburg concurring. When a young Jewish girl and her parents come across a business with a sign out front that says no dogs or Jews allowed, the fact that another business might serve her family does not redress the stigmatize and injury. Um, or put another way, the hardship Jackie Robinson suffered when on the road when his baseball team was not was not an inability to find some hotel that would have him. It was an indignity of not being allowed to stay at the same hotel with his white teammates. To illustrate, imagine a funeral home in rural Mississippi agrees to transport and cremate the body of an elderly man who passed away. Upon learning that the man's surviving spouse is also a man, however, the funeral home refuses to deal with the family. Grief-stricken and now isolated and humiliated, the family desperately searches for another funeral home that will take the body. Um, Preventing the unique evils caused by the acts of invidious discrimination in the distribution of public available goods and services and other advantages is compelling state interest of the highest order. Moreover, a law that prohibits only such acts by business open to the public is narrowly tarried to achieve the compelling interest. Law of response precisely uh, to uh, that harm. This is the last aspect of public accommodations that uh, deserve special emphasis. Law regulates only businesses that choose to sell goods or services to the general public to the public, but some public accommodation laws, such as the Federal Civil Rights Act, list establishments that qualify, but these establishments are ones open to the public generally. Uh, public accommodations law does not force anyone to start a business or to hold up business goods or services to the public at large. The law also does not compel any business to sell any particular good or service. As I said, you don't need to start selling a wedding websites if you don't need if you don't want to sell wedding websites to gay people. But if a business chooses to profit from the public market, which is established and maintained by the state, state may require the business to abide by legal norms of non-discrimination. In particular, the state may ensure that the groups historically marked for second-class status are not denied good to service on equal terms. The concept of public accommodation thus embodies a simple powerful contract. A business that chooses to sell public assumes the duty to serve the public without unjust discrimination. Um, do, 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 do. This is to say business duty to sell to all. Scroll, scroll, scroll. After the Civil War, some states codified common law duty. Public accommodations serve all color comers. Early state public accommodation statutes prohibited discrimination based on race or color. Um, blah, blah, blah. Court struck down several civil rights acts. 1875 is unconstitutional. Uh, civil rights movement. Congress believed that discrimination... Uh, rightly, in places of public accommodation, the injustice of being arbitrarily denied equal access... Uh, otherwise, open to the public good had no place in this country. Uh, Americans would soon realize that long excluded half society. Women had, yeah, okay, and decades of solid nation open sides to other injustice, people with disabilities. Not only have public accommodation laws expanded to recognize other unjust discrimination, broader scope, uh, lesbian LGBT people deserve dignity and freedom. LGBT have existed for human history. 
history of LGBTQ folks. It started off as a fairly routine police raid. The Stonewall, history of Stonewall. If you haven't learned that, you should go read it. Um, sexual orientation has been added. As long as public accommodation laws have been around, businesses have sought exemptions from them. Opponents of the Civil Rights Act objected that would have forced businesses to defy their beliefs. Uh, examples of people trying to fight the police and rules against them. First Amendment rights of expression uh, were used to challenge the laws against sex discrimination. Roberts versus United States JCs. The JCs sought an exemption from Minnesota law that forbids discrimination on sex and public accommodations. The US JCs is a specific organization which uh, had denied admissions to women. A court took a different view. The court held the application of Minnesota statute to compel JCs amendment freedom of expression association. That was state's public accommodation law did not aim at the suppression of speech. Justice O'Connor concurred in part. Uh, let's see. Let's, let's keep on skipping. Uh, Shelby versus Holder. Whenever you defeat one form of discrimination, another springs up uh, in its place. Time and time again, businesses and other commercial entities have claimed constitutional rights to discriminate. And time and time again, the court has courageously stood up to the claims until today. Today, the court shrinks. A business claims that it would like to sell wedding websites to the general public. It deny those same websites to gay and lesbian couples. Under the state law, the business is free to include or not include any lawful message it wants to in include in its web and websites. The only thing a business may not do is deny uh, whatever websites on the offer basis of sexual orientation. This court, however, grants the business a broad exemption from state law and allows the business to post a notice that says wedding websites will be refused to gays and lesbians. The court decision which conflates denial of service and protected expression is a grave error. Um, History of 303. What 303 has never sold websites. Smith now believes, however, that God is calling her to explain her true story about marriage. Really? So she's insane. Let's see, they get a thing that doesn't yet strip a right, but could if states decided to. Well, of course, that's what they that's what they do. To quote Obama, sort of to paraphrase Obama. Um, they, they you give an inch and you take they get, they try and take an inch and then to track another inch until they take miles. Is this okay? I'm not a, I'm am not in an okay mood. What is what okay? What? I'm I'm not sure what you mean. Smith's company has never sold a wedding website to any customer. Colorado has never had to enforce its anti-discrimination laws against the company, as the majority puts it. However, Smith worries that if she enters the wedding website business, the state will force her to convey messages inconsistent with her belief that marriage should be reserved to unions between one man and one woman. So Smith and her company petitioners here sued the state of federal court. They sought a court decree giving her special exemption. Um, yet to deny an individual because of sexual orientation, CADA's communication clause, blah, blah, blah. The breadth of the petitioner's pre-enforcement challenge is astounding. According to Smith, the free speech clause of the First Amendment entitles her company to refuse to sell any website for same-sex weddings, even though the company plans to offer wedding websites to the general public. In other words, the company claims a categorical exemption from public accommodations all simply because the company sells expressive services. The sweeping nature of this claim should have led this court to reject it. The First Amendment does not entitle petitioners to special exemption from state law that simply requires them to serve all members of the public on equal terms. Such a law does not directly regulate petitioner's speech at all. And petitioners may not escape the law by claiming expressive interest in discrimination. The First Amendment likely does not exempt petitioners from the law's prohibition on posting a notice on whether they would deny goods on services based on sexual orientation. The court has had a long First Amendment does not prevent restrictions directed to commerce. Um, 
imposing incidental burdens on speech. Congress, for example, can prohibit employers from discriminating in hiring basis on race. Uh, United States versus O'Brien. Let's keep scrolling. Majority tries to sweep under the rug petitioner's challenge to Cato's communication costs. I'll start with it. Recall that Smith wants to post a notice on her company's homepage that the company will refuse to sell any websites at the same site. So she literally wants to put no gays allowed on her on her website for, for, for marriages. Uh, this court, however, has already said that a ban on space hiring may, may, may require employers to remove white applicants-only signs. Uh, so petitioners can see that they are not entitled to an exemption of the communication clause unless they're also entitled to an exemption from accommodation clause. That concession is all but fatal to their argument because it shows that even pure speech may be burdened to a valid regulation conduct. Um, public accommodations law like accommodation clause does not target a speech, whatever. Rather, the focal point of its prohibition is on the act of discriminating against individuals. Uh, crucially, the law does not dictate the content of speech at all. It is only compelled if, to the extent the company offers such speech to other customers. Uh, what are these features? Let's, let's keep on scrolling. Another example might help illustrate the point of professional photographers generally free to choose a subject. She can make a living taking photos of flowers to celebrities. The state does not regulate that choice. If the photographer opens the portrait photography business to the public, however, the business may not deny it to any person because of race, sex, natural or, or, origin, or protected characteristics, the full and equal enjoyment of whatever services the business chooses to offer. That is so even though portrait photography services are customized and expressive. If the business offers school photos, it may not deny those services to multiracial children because the owner does not want to create any speech indicating interest couples are acceptable. If the business offers corporate headshots, it may deny those services to women because the owner believes women's places at the home. As the business offers passport photos, it may not deny those services to Mexican-Americans because the over owner opposes immigration from Mexico. Same is true for sexual orientation discrimination. If a photographer opens a photo booth outside City Hall and offers to sell newlywed photos captioned to the words, just married, she may not refuse to sell that service to a newlywed or gay lesbian couple, even if she believes the couple is not in fact just married because their view is marriage is false. Uh, because any burden on petitioner's speech is incidental, the cat is neutral regulation of commerce for conduct. The regulation is subject to the standards set forth in O'Brien. Standard is easily satisfied here because the law's application promotes a substantial government interest that would be achieved less effectively absent the regulation. Court reaches the wrong answer here because it asks the wrong questions. The question is not here whether the company's products include elements of speech. The question is not even whether Canada would require the company to create self speech. <clears throat> Notwithstanding the owner's sincere objection to doing so, if the company chooses to offer such speech to the public, these questions do not resolve the First Amendment inc injury inquiry any more than they did in fair. Instead, the proper focus is on the character of state action and the relationship to expression. Fair enough. That's the second, the majority completely ignores the categorical nature of the exemption created by the petitioners. Petitioners maintain that they have, throughout the litigation, that they will refuse to create any wedding website for the same-sex couple, even an announcement of the same time and place for a wedding similar to the majority's example of Bridges petitioners freedom of speech. They claim because the announcement of the wedding itself is a concept that Smith believes to be false. Indeed, petitioners here can see that if a same-sex couple came across an opposite-set wedding website created by the company and requested an identical website only with the names and date of the wedding changed, the petitioners would refuse. That is status-based discrimination, plain and simple. Obvious, oblivious to this fact, the majority insists that the petitioners discriminate based on message, not status. The company says the majority will not sell the same-sex wedding websites to anyone. It will only sell opposite-sex web wedding websites, and that is its service. Petitioners, however, cannot define the services as opposite-sex wedding any more than a hotel can recast its services as whites-only lodging. 
through the majority protest that Smith will gladly sell her goods and services to anyone, including same-sex couples. She just will not sell websites for same-sex. Apparently, gay or lesbian couple might buy a wedding website to their straight friends. This logic would be amusing if it's not so embarrassing. I suppose the heart of Atlanta Motel could have argued that a black people may still rent rooms for their white friends. Smith answers she will sell other websites to gay ones if clients will like. She, like Ali McClung, who would serve black people, take out but not a table service, discriminates against LGBTQ people by offering them a limited menu. This is plain to see for all those who do not look the other way. That's kind of what I argued with my venue argument. Um, do, 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 do. The other track of lesson of today's majority opinion is this. What's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. The lesson of this history of public accommodation laws is altogether different is that in a free and democratic society, there can be no social caste. And for that to be true, there must be true in the public market for the promise of freedom is an empty one. If government is powerless to assure that a dollar in the hands of one person will purchase the same thing as a dollar in the hands of another because the court today retreats from that promise, I dissent. There you go. All right. So anyway, so I didn't spend as much time on that one, but I think it was probably more. I think this case is, I think the reason I did so, I think that the best explanation as to why I did so is because I think this case was probably more cut and dry as to why it was wrong than the other ones. I think, I think the harm, I don't know. I, I, the harm done in this case is more discriminatory and, and harms, like it's more hateful. And it's so, and as such, it's more cut and dry as to why it's wrong. So it's easier to discuss. It's easier to attack. It's easier to deal with. Therefore, I was able to handle it in 50 minutes, whereas the other two took like an hour and a half apiece. Um, still means I needed, I still needed to cover it because it was necessary to cover. But Anyway, um, I'm going to go ahead and call this one a night. Um, I potentially on Wednesday, I think I'll be having, uh, when I had Representative Landry on from Louisiana, I had, I, I may have her opponent on upcoming Wednesday. I don't know if that's in set in stone yet she said yes in principle but i think she wants to talk in, in uh on the phone first before that happens so if that happens i'll post that maybe monday um and so we'll talk about that and maybe talk about some other issues um i already have the hypocrite of the week set up for next week so we will see about that um and we'll see about words of redneck wisdom as well i have some audio that i need to cut together from uh, jeff's show on thursday because i got a response again from uh from uh Good old, uh, what's the face? Uh, anyway, um, I'll be streaming again on Tuesday and Thursday as well. Um, thank you, everybody, for showing up. Thank you, Benny Lopez, for coming back. I appreciate you uh, posting some videos that should be live tomorrow morning. Uh, once you see them, just do me a favor, share them with everybody you can. Uh, let everybody know. Have them share them as well. Spread the word. Let's get this channel monetized. Let's get the ball rolling. I appreciate y'all so much for coming up so late. Have a good one.
Peace.